The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, they're, they're spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Die Hard. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm doing good, man. Uh, what are you drinking today? I stole one of Mugga's Ultra Tall Cans. Oh, perfect. Yeah. It's like a little uh, Christmas gift, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right for the season. Yeah. Uh, Mugga, what are you drinking? I, too, am drinking a Ultra Tall Can. It's okay, though. I'm going to comp that because Jason just made me a millionaire. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> More uh, details to follow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also with us is TJ. What up, TJ? Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Uh, what are you drinking today? I am currently drinking a White Claw, but I also have a Michelob Ultra in Q, so... Perfect. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I don't know and what then, just happened there. I don't know. I don't know what happened either. Um, also, round of the panel, we got Rich. Welcome back, Rich. What's up, guys? What are you drinking today? Uh, just call me Hydration City over here. I got water, uh, Red Bull, and a good old Michelob Ultra. Oh, so you have two waters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, but today we are talking about Die Hard, released uh, July 15th, 1988. It stars Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, Alexander Goodenough, uh, Bonnie Bedelia, and Reginald Vell Johnson. It's directed by John McTiernan, and it is distributed by 20th Century Fox. Let's talk about our experience with Die Hard. Mugga, you're up. Okay. Jason, I'm sorry. I have never actually watched this movie start to finish until this week. Oh my God. Yeah, I knew he'd be wow. pissed. So I've seen scenes. I know there's like a guy that looks like Fabio, Alan Reichman. Is that how to say his name? Rickman. Rickman. He's fallen down. I've seen when it's on during Christmas time, because I will get into it. This is a Christmas movie. I've watched like the last 30 minutes, but I've never sat down and watched start to finish. I love number three. I've watched that many times, but I've never done this movie start to finish until this week. Yeah. I knew you'd be mad. I gave you a heads up, and that's why. Yeah, so I watched it last night for the first time ever, start to finish. Yeah, and it was a great movie. In my movie theater room that I have with Lindy, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, but that's my, my experience. I've never fully watched this movie, never in my life. Yeah. I know if you guys, there's no cameras on right now. If you could see Jason's face, like, just give me whatever you want to say. I know I'm sorry as your friend. I know I, you're pissed off right now. I don't want to add insult to injury, but... Last night was the first time that I ever saw this movie. <laughs> what too. the fuck? Yes, yes. I actually, I DJ, unlike I unlike Mugga, I had never even seen scenes of the movie. I'd never seen pieces of it. I never had the desire to watch it. Last Everybody, night was the first time. Can I take a photo of Jason right now so we can put it on our Instagram? Last night was the first time so I saw it. Off. This can't be real. I swear to God, I've never watched this movie start to finish. This is a classic. I'm not, not disagreeing I, with you. No, I, I get think it. We, we, yeah, we understand. I just, they I show this on TNT on the regular. Exactly, which is why I've caught like the last 30 minutes of it, and I know what happens and all that, but like I never knew that his wife was... Or they were having problems. Part of this, yeah, I don't know. I just, oh my yeah. gosh, I'm sorry. I'm I never sorry. understood the debate between if it's a Christmas movie or not because I had never seen. Which it. is really embarrassing because I've posted with Jason like on social media of polls like, is this a Christmas movie? And I've never watched it <laughs> <It's> entirely. <laughs> He's so mad right now. Jason, um, having heard all of this, uh, how do you feel? And what's your experience? Uh, I, I'm at a loss for words that you guys have never seen this start to finish until this fucking week. 
Lo within Siento. the last couple of days. Yeah. This is insane. Last night at 10 p.m. To this be is back. insane. I had a head start. I was at eight. <laughs> and you guys both love Friends too. And Joey and Chandler, they watched Die Hard twice in a fucking row. That's like, a great connection. I don't know. I'm just saying like, <laughs> like, and it's, it's like the epitome of a guy's movie. And it's a Christmas movie. It's fucking Bruce Willis, I think, at his peak. Like, you guys, I don't know. I don't fucking, I don't know what to fucking say. Like, they, like there's jokes in, like, people's stand, like, comic stand-ups about, like, Nakatomi Towers. Yes, and Yippee-Ki-Yay, motherfucker. I, I get it. No, no, fuck that. The fuck Nakatomi it. Towers. And you guys don't even know what that's about. No, but I well, knew I what now. Yippee, I no, knew no. what Yippee-Ki-Yay was. <laughs> It sounds like you know now. It sounds like you know now. Because it's Yippie Kaye. It's not Yippie Kayo. So it sounds like you paid attention for a second. To anyone listening, I gave Jason. I was like, hey, we record this. You're going to get mad at me. And you thought like I was going to go out. No, I was like, I'm just going to reveal something. I have to be honest. And I I think I'm right. And that you're pissed off at me right now. I mean, I'm not saying I'm pissed off. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But I've watched number three like a million times. I love number three. But we're not talking about number three. We're not. We're talking (laughs) about number one. (laughs) Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll stop there. Um, Just very disappointed. I, you know, I don't remember the first time I watched this, but I've watched this. He's like, it was last night. (laughs) No. I've watched this many times from beginning to end. I even bought the trilogy for my mom on Blu-ray. Like, like this was like a Christmas movie we well, all watched. Can I ask you, how come you and I have never watched it then? Like, we've watched Rocky Four, I think, legitimately over a hundred times. We've yeah, never said that's your go-to. It. That's your go-to. It's that is your go-to. I try to put on a movie you don't like or you have never seen. It's like, well, dude, they're not going to like this one. Like, you better be prepared. So it's like, Muggle, would you like to watch? Okay, Rocky Four. Mugga, you okay, sounds great. Sounds great. Let's watch that again. You still have. The, I guarantee you, it's in your DVD queue right now. <laughs> what it's in Rocky the player? Yeah. yeah, in the. I player. have digital. I have hard copies. Every version. I think I might have the VHS. It's definitely yeah, a VHS in your house. I think I might have hundred <laughs> percent. So I'm like, I'm not going to put this on. Obviously, I didn't made the right choice. You never seen all and the way through. You know, you go straight to the montages. I'm straight yeah, to the yeah. Am I wrong though? Yeah. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. wrong? It's okay. it's 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 100% right. I'm just saying I I'm just saying I never I'm seen I'm a little disappointed. Just a you little live bit. with me. Why did we ever watch this movie? <laughs> because Rocky 4. Well, yeah, that's good. It's a valid argument. That's it. <laughs> Grab a I told of- you guys you would be mad. I'm just saying, I've seen scenes, I know the story, but like I've never sat down and watched it start to finish until last night. You grab a glass of wine and say, "Rich, we got to put it on." <laughs> I, I apologize. I, I mean, you guys want to watch it right now? I don't know what to tell you. Like, just fuck. Like, have you seen the second one? Yes. Start not, to finish. No. not Well, yeah, I have seen it start to finish, but I don't really remember it. But number three, I watched over and over I and think, over again. Number three was my... Like, well, we can talk about this later, yeah. but number three was obviously the best of the Yeah, I but, but, but regardless of all that, I mean, I just... I don't know. Like, I, you guys know me. I'm, I'm something... Someone that doesn't want to try things new. And so when, like, number three's good, I'm, like, not going to change it. Obviously, we watched Rocky Four how many times? Because it's good, you know, so. But I, I think there's there's a lot of good scenes in this one. Anyway, like I was saying, I, I, I don't remember the first time I watched this, but I did rewatch it again um, this week. I, don't, I, I fell in love with it again the, all over. I mean, Elizabeth was trying to watch it. Again, she's on her phone half the time. She's talking shit about it. This is why... 
she was almost volunteering to be on this episode, but I said, no, 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 you're going to talk shit on this, so get the fuck out of here. So, um, yeah, I, I don't remember my first experience, but I did watch it again. I think it was on um, Tubi TV or Roku TV for free, but there was ads. Oh, so the I, mo- I, am, I watched it on, uh, what is it, IMTV? I'm asking you. IMDb TV? Or? I, yeah, I watched it on I, IMDb TV. I am DB. It's free IMDb right now. TV. If you want to watch it, it's free on Amazon with ads. It's free on oh, with it's ads. Free, it was yeah. free on I am DT TV as well. It's because with it's ads. a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, but like I was watching it, and so the movie I think was like two hours and twelve minutes or something like that. And I swear to God, it, it felt three hours because there was an ad like every 10, 15 minutes that was two minutes long each. Mm-hmm. So it's like you'd watch a scene, not, not even a whole scene, a half a scene, and it was like another ad. So that was kind of a bummer, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of that, that's my experience. My experience, uh, I don't remember the first time I seen this movie either, but uh, I do own uh, I do own all the Die Hard movies. I got them on sale last Christmas. I think it was like 20 bucks for all five of them, so I bought that shit. Uh, I watched it uh, about a month ago to take notes, and then uh, I went down to San Diego a couple weeks ago uh, to go see it at the, the rooftop cinema. So we oh, watched it like outside on the rooftop, and it was fucking freezing. Don't ever do it in the wintertime. It was awful. Uh, the movie's great, but... Uh, being outside in like fucking 51 degree weather watching Die Hard it's not a it's not a fun experience um, but I mean uh, yeah uh, that's pretty much my experience yeah uh, Rich what about you uh, I believe the first time I watched this was on VHS at my house in Rialto so it had to be about 99 98 something like that I so remember. Muggo was like 30 then 100% <laughs> Jesus we're, we're good, yeah. It's funny. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Oh, my God. Sorry. I'm drunk right now, too, so I have no response. <laughs> like, we're all being assholes right now. Yeah. We're sorry, much. For the record, I'm 39 right now. I'm not even 40 yet, so. Uh, Whoa. Uh, <laughs> shaking his head. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, you're not. <laughs> This is the worst episode of all time, guys. What the hell? All right, back to your experience, Rich. Oh, man. Had to take a break. Sorry, guys. Uh, But yeah, it had to be about 98, 99. I remember my pops had it on VHS. And um, it was just one of those movies that you put on and then you just kept watching it. You know what I mean? I no, I like, don't know what you mean. I really don't. Well, like, obviously. TJ and I just saw it last slackers. night. Slackers. <laughs> um, but it felt like that TNT special that you always catch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. All the time. Every time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all the time. And they'll always play like part one or two back to back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or part exactly. one and three. Yeah. I've seen them like yes. skip too, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that's my experience pretty much. And uh, just brought back good memories. Perfect. All right. So now, uh, before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, why don't you hit us with the financials? So this financially was a success. Um, they had a budget of $28 million. Um, however, domestically, it made around $83 million. Um, according to Box Office Mojo, it had no international sales, so I had to dig deeper. Rich, we had this last year when we did this. Remember, I couldn't find it. I, I think when we do an older movie like this, Box Office Mojo doesn't have, like I guess, some information. So I just typed in on the internet. Apparently, it did a little over $57 million internationally. So with that being said, it brought in almost $140 million, which I, I think is a success on a budget of $28 million, especially in 1988, right? It's huge. Um, with that being said... 
in the theaters at the time. I don't think it did well opening weekend. It came in at number 16. Oh. Yeah. But, but you, I think it's, it was... You heavy hitters, it, Well, it, it, if you look at it, some of these movies I don't recognize. Um, Short Circuit 2 was at number 7. Uh, Willow Johnny was Bye. number 15. Uh, but here we go. Bambi was at number 4. Was Bambi in 1980 or was that a re-release of, of the movie? It had to have been a re-release. It had yeah, to be, right? But re- Bambi was at number 4. Number three, which is a good movie that I think is Who Framed mm. Roger Rabbit, number three. Yeah, um, The Deadpool at number two. I've never heard of that movie. I don't know that one. Yeah, right. yeah. But number one, I want you guys to guess. What do you think of number course. one was? Of course, baby. The best movie ever. You know what I'm talking Hell about? Hell yeah. Coming to America. 100%. Yeah. Coming to America was there. Now, that I was did, a staple in the black household, yeah, by the way. Yeah. So now I did go in depth of where this movie ranked. Here's the thing, though. They have re-released Die Hard twice, once in 2020 and also on its 30th anniversary. So it's kind of weird. But the actual movie is at number four. Number three was Die Hard with a Vengeance oh. at number three, which I thought would be higher. Like, I love that movie. I really do. Like, that one I've seen many times. I think you know? that's the best one. Um, number two is Die Hard 2. And then the, the top one out of this franchise is Live Free or Die Hard. Hmm. So I kind of was shocked that this was low but I'm wondering if this is like no one knew about it. it I mean we're saying it's a Christmas movie it was released in July right or June sorry June no it was July but July. Uh, with that being said like I don't know if it was just like people didn't know what to expect and then when they got the momentum that's why the other ones are a lot better what so. was number two number two is actually Die Hard number two yeah that's weird. Yeah, that came in at 117 million. And that's probably the live, one I've seen the least. Live free or die. Well, but with the success of Die Hard, that you makes would sense. think, You're you right, know. Yeah. Um, but live free or die hard, um, which came out in 2007, that had almost 135 million. So, but yeah, those are the financials. All right, Jason, uh, tell us what the people thought. Okay, so I'm going to go into Rotten Tomatoes like I usually do, IMDb, and then I'm going to switch it up and go into a recently released article on Esquire magazine about uh, the 60 best Christmas movies and see where it ranks. So starting off, Rotten Tomatoes, pretty impressed by the ratings here. I'm not going to lie, guys. 40% of the critics liked it. How do you guys feel about that? Pissed off. What the fuck? What do you mean you're pissed off? 40%? Did I say 40? Oh. You said 40. I'm so sorry. I'll do that again. Oh, shit. Okay, so start. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? I, I apologize. Uh, okay, I'll do it again. Right. 94% of the critics liked it. Now, the one thing I'll say is there's only 80 reviews. So typically when we do a movie, there's 100, 200 plus reviews, especially with newer movies. But I think 94%, that's pretty good with an average rating at 8.6 out of 10. Um, the audience... Uh, 94% of the audience give it a 3.5 out of 5 or higher with over 250,000 ratings with an average rating of 4.4 out of 5. It's kind of funny too when you're on Rotten Tomatoes it lists movies you might also like. The first one they list I love Terminator 2. Then the first Terminator. Mm -hmm. Then Speed. 12 Monkeys which I've never seen all the way through. Have you guys seen that one? All no, it's with Brad Pitt, right? Yeah. I think that's a Bruce Willis film as well. Yeah, that's a that's a Bruce Willis yeah. movie. And then rounding it out, Predator. So nice. I'd watch all five of those movies. Yeah. Um, IMDb uh, has it at a eight point two out of ten, so a little lower than Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the demos are pretty consistent across the board. So again, like I said, it's eight point two out of ten on IMDb. Um, males had an 8.3. This is funny though. Males had an 8.3 with over a half a million votes. Females had it 7.9 with only 74,000 votes. So there wasn't a lot of females going on here and reviewing it. 
at all. So one thing I wanted to go into was the 60 best Christmas movies according to Esquire magazine. And it was just this this article was just released on December 1st of this year. So it's very recent. That's why I wanted to take a look at it. Um, before we get into where Die Hard ranks, I just want to point out the B teams episode, the holiday. So where do you guys think that ranked? It shouldn't even be on that list. That movie's horrible. It I is. Already, unfortunately, it's on I already list. know the answer because I was on the B team episode. Well then, and this is top <laughs> sixty, right? Six zero. This is six zero. Yeah, correct. It's got to be in the fifty. I'm gonna say fifty-seven. I'm gonna say fifty-nine. The holiday is actually. I'm no- gonna say forty-four. Forty-three. Forty-four. <laughs> it's number forty-four. Wow. Um, I want to point out some other ones yes. real quick. So Jing all the way, which we've done. What do you think that is that? That's got to be in the 30s. 32. 30s. 42. 15. Dean knows the fucking list. <laughs> okay. Fuck you. 42. Okay. It's All right. 42. All right. um, Psychic Bob over here. <laughs> one of Elizabeth and I's favorites is Edward Scissorhands. TJ, don't answer. Where do you guys think that this one ranks? 21. No, I'd say it's in the top at least 15. Edward Scissorhands for Christmas? Yeah, for a Christmas movie. I'm going to say 47. This one's 32. Mm. That was way off. And then one that I used to watch a lot as a kid, The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Yes, great movie. Classic. What do you guys think that? Top 20 easy. It should yeah, be. I'm going to say 17. I'll say 14. 31. Whoa. Oh, shit. Yep. Okay, tell me where Home Alone 1 and 2 are. they got to be in the top five. So Home Alone 1 and 2, you know what? I don't think I saw Home Alone 2 on here. What? If I did, I must have missed it. Home Alone 1 is number five. Mm, what the hell? Okay, you got to tell us the top 10 then. Okay, so I'll cut this short. Which one, what number do you think Die Hard falls at? Okay, too bad, so sad. Uh, Kerwin already ruined it. Uh, it's number 26. So we said that off mic. Kerwin, thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. One, one that I know Muggett likes a lot, The Polar Express. I love that movie. Where do you think that one comes in? I mean, I, I it's a definitely a great Christmas movie, but I don't think it would be in the top 20. Number 29. So That's I, right. Yeah. yeah, I love that movie. Do you guys like that? Is it is it based off of the book? Like sales or? I think this is just their impact opinion. Or, you know it's just, just opinion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I've never seen Polar Express. So it, it's, it's actually pretty decent. Please, I've never seen it either. Let's okay. Now we're even. That is that, no, that is that is so far beyond even not, that. No, no, I'm sorry. No, fuck that shit. No. Nah. We are we are not even this is close. Great. You gotta watch it. It's a great. Yeah, movie. but it didn't come out in '88. Rich, I'm talking to Jason here. Okay, <laughs> just stop. Okay. Polar Express looked creepy to me. Like the way That's the CGI. I, I was just you were saying, old I enough like, to go into theaters and watch It's too real and too fake at the same time. I can't do it. That's why I never watched it. I just looked too weird. I don't know. The, the, yeah. the soundtrack, the score, great. But that's all I'll give it. Okay, can we watch it in my movie room? The Polar Express. Sure, sure, of course. Right. Um, Nightmares. Okay, I'm gonna run through a couple real quick. Um, Gremlins, number 23. Oh, that's valid. Charlie Brown Christmas, number 14. Uh, Rich's favorite, Elf, number 13. Trash, trash. Number 11, Nightmare Before Christmas. Top 10. Uh, Number 11. This is one that I thought was kind of interesting. Never seen Nightmare Before Christmas. What? I, I, that creeps me out. All right, Mugga, you, you are alienating like a whole lot of people I right now. I will not watch that movie. Oh my god! I will not watch it. Add it to the queue. Cri- maybe maybe <laughs> take a break from Rocky Four. Maybe take a break. Everyone's no. in the <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm glad it wasn't right here. <laughs> no. We gotta fucking take a break. I'm sorry. All right, uh, I'm gonna keep going along. Um, 
So one that I thought uh, that made the top ten that I was really surprised by was Bad Santa was number eight. That's a good movie. Yeah, it's good, but I don't know. Top eight, I don't know. Uh, again, Home Alone, number five. Number three, A Christmas Story, which I fucking hate that movie. Um, number two, Christmas Vacation, which I love. And then number mm-hmm. one, It's a Wonderful Life. So I don't can know. I ask, can I ask a question? I get it. Yeah. On that list, is Rocky Four on there? No. That's a Christmas movie. It takes place on Christmas Day. It does. He fights off and drops. Okay, okay. But but the movie well, ends on, on Christmas Day. It ends on Christmas. The whole movie's so it's a not Thanksgiving Christmas. Movie. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Jason and I talked about it one okay. time. I mean, I, I I'll agree with yeah. you. I'm just pointing that out, but because there is Christmas carols on there, there's lights, and it takes place on Christmas Day. Hey, crazy stat guys, Rocky Ford makes another appearance in this <laughs> podcast. One that like there's some weird stuff on here. Like, do you remember Jack Frost with Michael Keaton? Like, yeah. that's on this list. Like, there's some weird stuff on this list. But Home Alone Two is not on this list. Again, I think that's the one that they're really missing. I I would put Home Alone Two as a sequel up there with like Empire Strikes Back, The Dark Knight. It's a great sequel, right? I mean, don't you guys agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those sequels where like, hey, it not only did well, but it didn't like ruin the franchise. I like Home Alone Two. I think Ace Ventura: uh, When Nature Calls is horrible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it ruined the first, ruined one. the first one. Yeah, you know, like Dumb and Dumber Two. I still will not watch because I don't want to ruin Dumb and Dumber. You and know, then what was it? Dumber and Dumber. Bro? Yeah, whatever yeah. it was. But Home Alone Two was a great sequel. You know. But like Batman Returns is number forty-eight. Like it's weird. They it, that's a list, Christmas movie. Yeah, that well, honey. Uh, yeah. Remember the big presents? Yeah, yeah. yeah. like uh, yeah. it's just the the list is very weird. But I mean. It has a lot of Christmas movies, but you start scrolling through these and you're like, some of them are a head scratcher. But anyway, that's the reviews. So let's get into behind the scenes. Uh, I just want to start off and say that uh, right off the bat, um, I'm going to tell you that there is a ton of stuff on Die Hard out there. Documentaries, articles, you know, all the good shit. Uh, There isn't enough time in a single week to go through it all. So like our Star Wars episodes, we are going to miss some things. You know, we're going to skip over some things and we're going to get some things wrong. Uh, Feel free to do your own research and read or watch whatever you can. And when you're finished, record your own episode. But uh, here we go. Uh, so Die Hard is actually based off the uh, 1979 novel titled Nothing Lasts Forever, written by Roderick Thorpe. A little bit about Thorpe, the author. He was born in uh, Bronx, New York in 1936. And according to Wikipedia, after college, he worked at a detective agency owned by his dad. He would go on to teach literature and creative writing while also writing articles for various newspapers and magazines. Uh, Unfortunately, Thorpe would die of a heart attack at age 62 in uh, April 1999. Uh, He also wrote the novel Detective, uh, which would later go on to be adapted into the 1968 film of the same name starring Frank Sinatra. So I'm bringing this up because this is going to come up later. Uh, Two of Thorpe's other novels, Rainbow Drive and Devlin, were also made into movies, although they were straight to TV. Uh, As far as the original novel goes, Nothing Lasts Forever, which is actually a sequel to The Detective, uh, is a story about a retired NYPD detective named Joe Leland who visits Los Angeles on Christmas Eve to see his daughter, not wife, and his grandchildren at the Claxon Oil Corporation, not Nakatomi. Uh, Much like Die Hard, while he's waiting for the party to end, German terrorists seize the building and he mounts a one-man effort against them aided by a lone LAPD officer. Um, Unlike Die Hard, 
After Leland kills the terrorists, he actually fails to save his daughter. In the movie, John McClane, you know, saves his wife from falling by unclipping her watch. Uh, she falls to her death along with Gruber. Uh, pissed off at the events of the night, uh, the protagonist, Leland, dumps all the cash from the top of the skyscraper onto the LA streets. And the book pretty much ends the same way as Die Hard. Uh, Carl comes out of nowhere, starts shooting people and shit uh, before Al shoots him dead. Um, but it is not a happy ending at the end. Our main character, Joe Leland, has lost his daughter, uh, also believing her to be involved in the entire terrorist scheme. Merry Christmas. I think that would have been awful if she died at the end, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, terrible movie. <clears throat> I mean, if, like, the protagonist fell off the roof and he had an erection, would he die hard? I don't know. I hate you. Wow. You'd probably rise up, come back with a vengeance. You know? hey, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Nobody had the balls to write that ending. <laughs> uh, but moving on. <laughs> you okay? You all right? I'm good. All right. Uh, moving on to the director. Uh, the director on this movie is uh, John McTiernan. Other projects he's worked on are Predator, Hunt for Red October, Last Action Hero, and uh, Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, Paul Weirhoven, who did RoboCop, was originally looked at to direct this movie. And I believe at one point, uh, Clint Eastwood was uh, looked at to star in and direct this movie. Really? At, yeah, at a certain yeah. point, yeah. But we'll get into why that could have been uh, later on. Um, according to a Vanity Fair article, uh, the director's main concern with this movie was that it was a terrorist movie, and those are usually, you know, mean, filled with lots of uh, mean, nasty acts, uh, quote. And uh, he didn't want to jump on board unless they could find ways to add more joy and humor to it. Uh, you know, make it a good time, so to speak. Moving on to the writers, uh, Die Hard is written by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. DeSouza. Uh, Jeb Stewart also wrote The Fugitive, Another 48 Hours, Lock Up, and Just Cause. He's also a writer and producer on the uh, Vikings Valhalla TV series. Then we got Stephen E. DeSouza. He worked on a ton of shit. You know, he's got movies like uh, 48 Hours, Commando, Die Hard 2, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Judge Dredd, and The Flintstones. So, you know, his resume rocks. Yeah. Uh, and he also that was, uh, that, was pretty, that was pretty good I like that I get it I get it uh, he also wrote and directed Street Fighter so we love that one uh, and he worked on uh, Gemini Man but not the Gemini Man that we know and love here at $20 Ticket. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, he worked on a 1970s TV series titled Gemini Man that was about a guy that could turn invisible, but only for 15 minutes or else he'd disappear forever. And I uh, kind of wish that Gemini Man movie with Will Smith would disappear forever. Uh, don't we, all? No? <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, DeSouza would uh, come through later in the process to help rewrite the script since he had a talent for blending uh, action and comedy. But moving on from DeSouza and going back to Jeb Stewart, we got to focus on him because he really got the ball rolling on this project. Um, and this is all according to a 2018 Variety article that focused specifically on his experience. He was dealing with a bit of a financial crisis back in the day. He'd worked for, uh, he worked on a spec script for Columbia Pictures, but then they dropped the project in 1987, right before it was supposed to go into production, and that left him broke. So he had a pregnant wife at home, he was feeling the pressure, uh, but he did, however, have a deal with Disney, but for whatever reason, he wasn't getting paid at that time. So Stewart got his agent to put in a word for him with Lloyd Levin, who was the head of development for 20th Century Fox producer Larry Gordon at the time. Larry Gordon helped produce The Warriors, The Driver, 48 Hours, etc. 
Uh, Lloyd Levin was pretty much the guy that always sought out potential projects for Larry Gordon to produce. And one of the projects that was kind of sitting around at 20th Century Fox was an adaptation of the Roderick Thorpe novel, Nothing Lasts Forever, that we talked about, uh, which, uh, like we mentioned, was a direct sequel to The Detective, which Fox had produced back in the 60s. So they made that movie starring Frank Sinatra based on the uh, prequel to this movie. Stewart immediately jumped on that project. Stewart had a really tough time adapting Nothing Lasts Forever into a film script. Uh, he was living in Pasadena at the time while working in Burbank, dealing with his uh, financial struggle, and he would work 18-hour days at the time. So I just feel like if you have a deal with like a major company, especially a network, like they keep you on retainer, essentially, until you produce something. Even if you don't produce anything, they just keep you on retainer, and they pay you a shit ton of money. Even if nothing goes to screen, you don't get a pilot or anything, Like it's just weird that Disney, he doesn't get paid shit. Yeah, and uh, I believe he had a he had a four picture deal with them, and you would think that at some point he'd some he'd see some kind of cash go his way as an incentive to work on those things. I I don't know how that all worked out, yeah. but yeah, you know, Stewart was having a rough time, um, and then one day uh, he got into a huge argument with his wife over something super trivial, and instead of admitting that he was wrong, he just left the house, got in the car, drove back to Burbank to go work. But uh, along the way, while he was speeding through traffic, he drove headfirst into a giant refrigerator box that was left on the freeway. Luckily for him, the box was empty. There was no fridge in it. So uh, he was safe. But then he had a realization. Uh, Quote, nothing lasts forever isn't about a 60-year-old man who drops his daughter off a building. It should be about a 30-year-old man who should have said sorry to his wife and something really bad happens. End quote. And that's when he finally solved his biggest issue with the adaptation, the main character. Uh, Stewart would write 35 pages that night, but he says, uh, quote, unfortunately, I still had to go back home and uh, apologize to my wife in the morning. So, yeah, he had uh, that to deal with. Uh, on writing the main character, Stewart stuck to the method of uh, writing what you know. And by making the main character of his movie younger, he was able to draw influence from the people he knew who were about the same age as, uh, you know, John McClane and they were going through the same marital struggles or divorcing. Uh, right off the bat, Stewart changed the name of his main character from Joe Leland to uh, John Ford, but that was the name of a famous film director, and 20th Century Fox wasn't into naming an action movie character the same name. Stewart says that they went through about 50 last names before they finally landed on John McClane, and uh, he says that uh, John McClane was a, a good, strong Scottish name, apparently. After further development, uh, Stewart took what he had and went to go pitch it to Larry Gordon, uh, the producer we spoke about at Fox, and a bunch of other executives. Uh, he never pitched before and was going on this long, detailed explanation of the movie. And that's when Larry Gordon kind of stops him and says, look, you're supposed to be pretty good at this. Just go write it. And every other exec in the room was kind of shocked because that shit just doesn't happen in these kind of pitch meetings. So Stewart took off and five weeks later, he had the script done. Uh, he was really happy with what he wrote, but he was so nervous that he just needed to get away. Once again, I feel like every podcast we do, we talk about people being nervous and taking a trip somewhere, often Hawaii for whatever reason. But uh, he went on a family trip on Friday, comes back home Sunday, and his voicemail is full. And I guess uh, within 24 hours on Saturday, they greenlit the project. So he was getting his movie made oh, right geez. away. Yeah. I didn't know there was this much to it, but right, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Dig that deep. Yeah. Well, I just remember you saying like there's like too much. And that's always like we were talking about this before. Just I feel like we can say this on here too. It's just like it's a double edged sword. Like either there's not enough or there's an overwhelming or amount. Or you just won't stop. 
Yeah. yeah, and it's like you can go into detail about every facet of the movie, but I feel like you got to cut it off and you know go do the research for yourself, motherfuckers. Like exactly. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yippee yo. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky Four. Yeah, but I made yeah I made sure to like condense that shit like down like for sure. Uh, moving on to the cast and characters, we got uh, Bruce Willis as John McClane. Uh, obviously, we had the name change from uh, Joe Leland from the uh, original novel. Uh, as we discussed earlier, this movie, like the source material, uh, Nothing Lasts Forever, uh, was supposed to be a direct sequel to the 1968 film The Detective. And because of contractual obligations, Frank Sinatra was supposed to star in this movie in Die Hard. But he declined, and I, you know, call me crazy, but I think it's because he was 73 years old. That might have had something to do with it. So, Mug his age. Okay. <laughs> I think next time we... gonna, like, enable that? That was a stupid comment. I think next I time, Kerwin, uh, we have to sit TJ at least one, if not two seats away from, from, from Mugs. Yeah, we kind of need TJ for the future. So <laughs> yeah. we got we to protect our assets. He's a little closer. They're sitting right next to each other. Oh, man. <laughs> Mm. Uh, so uh, right after uh, Frank Sinatra declined the role uh, the studio went to Arnold Schwarzenegger but uh, this was at a point in his career where he was looking to make the transition from action to comedy and he turned it down to do Twins with Danny DeVito and uh, Twins was released in 1988 same year as Die Hard Uh, other actors the studio went to were Richard Gere Burt Reynolds Mel Gibson Al Pacino James Caan Harrison Ford Sylvester Stallone Nick Nolte, Richard Dean Anderson, and Don Johnson. All of them pass on the movie. They all said no. And uh, I know I talked about uh, Clint Eastwood earlier. Uh, He was set to star uh, back when they were trying to keep it age appropriate, like the source material. But uh, I believe he wanted to direct the movie as well as star in it. So uh, he passed on that uh, as well. Out of that list, I think Harrison Ford as... You don't think he would have done well? No. And Sylvester Stallone. I think they would have been both good. Other than that, the rest of the... Like Richard Gere, no. I'm no. going to say no on Stallone. And the reason why is because he sounds like one of the terrorists. Let's be real. Yeah. You uh, don't think... Her- Jason, you don't think Harrison Ford would have been done good? Like, look at The Fugitive. Like, like that's he's, what he's playing. But he's, like, not, he's not MacGyver type. You know what I mean? Like, Bruce Willis literally does a lot of stuff on the fly. The have you watched like, The Fugitive? I have watched The Fugitive. But you got to think... He used his resources of his network, especially with the old rich dude, you know what I mean, to get out of the trouble that he was in. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Harrison Ford plays a good cop for one. I think if you're if you're talking about being like a physical actor and there's a lot of physical stuff in this movie, I would say Stallone is probably your best bet out of the list. But the acting side, like I wouldn't have took him seriously. You know what I mean? Maybe, I, I, maybe, but I, I think S- Stallone's the best pick out of out of this bunch. To I would add say. to that list too, uh, Robert De Niro was on there, and also Charles oh. Bronson. Oh shit! There was two other ones that they mentioned. Uh, wow, that were options. Apparently, they, they all they, they, all of these actors were given an opportunity, they passed. Yes, and you got to oh. think of that time frame too, though. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like '80s was yeah. action, action, action at that point. Because I mean? except for coming to America. I'm sorry. When did when did Pulp Fiction come out? 90. So this is so this kind of made Bruce Willis's career, right? I, was, I mean, well, I was, was going to ask was was this coming, like his breakthrough or So I'm I'm going to get to that. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Go I agree though. I think I, out of that list, personally I think Sly is probably the only one that could have done this. Okay. Like but you got to think though at that time wasn't didn't Commando come out or Rambo or uh Rambo was like those action movies, you know? Rambo I mean? and Commando were before this. And plus he had the Rocky series in the 80s as well. So it's like 
you're gonna see the same character over and over. Like it's yeah. it's gonna true. But the only know. the only thing I'll say is I, I can't remember the year that Tango and Cash came out. It's not a huge movie, but he did a good job of being like this straight lace kind of cop in it where it wasn't like this Rocky or this Rambo. It was like a completely different character. Still, still action. Don't get me wrong. Did but. you say Mel Gibson was attached to this? Mel Gibson yes. too. Yeah. That would have been Mel good Gibson too. Was, but, but he was doing but the you got to think weapons. of the lethal weapons. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, it's, yeah. You got to think about those people that are linked to like certain movies. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's I, I I get it, but I think Bruce Willis coming out of what he was in before into this movie was something crazy. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think uh, we're kind of all looking at this thing in the same thing. Like, why did so many people pass? So many prominent actors, and I believe is because like there's like an oversaturation in the market. There's only one specific type of person that could play these roles. And that was kind of uh, a thing going against Die Hard at this time was like too many action movies, too many movies like this about explosions and shit like that. Uh, But moving on to Bruce Willis, um, he actually couldn't do the movie at first uh, because of his contractual obligations to the uh, comedy TV show Moonlighting at the time. Uh, but that all changed once Bruce Willis's co-star on that show, Sybil Shepard, uh, got pregnant and the show had to pause production for three months. And that's when Willis was able to take the role. Um, so he still worked on the show, however, during the filming. You know, he would uh, film Moonlighting during the day and he would come on set to Die Hard at night. Was that a comedy or what was that? It was like a drama comedy about like a like a private detective or something like that. Oh, OK. Yeah. I've never I've, I've heard of Sybil Shepard. I've never heard of that show, though. Yeah, that was a. Uh, um, that was the show that uh, Bruce Willis was on. But uh, prior to Die Hard, he had only done two movies before Die Hard. Okay. Yeah, so this was like his first, like he'd starred in other movies, but like this was like the movie that sent him off after. Um, so he got $5 million for the role, one of the highest salaries at the time. And you got to think about this, like he's a TV actor. And at that time, there was a clear distinction between TV, TV and, and movies. Film, yeah, 100%. exactly. And uh, they got a lot of criticism for it, but Fox was adamant that Bruce Willis fit the everyman role of John McClane. And uh, when you don't hire a big name established actor, there's a very real possibility that the hero of the story could fail. And to your point, Rich, like, you know, if you hire a Stallone, you know what's gonna happen in the movie. You know he's gonna succeed. But if you hire somebody nobody knows about, uh, there's a clear possibility that there's going to be some failure along the way. Going back to the financials, is that why this movie probably didn't do well opening weekend? It was just like there well, wasn't the buzz. I to mean, kind of tap onto that, number one, nobody knew who Bruce Willis was. Right. Number two, Fox didn't even use Bruce Willis in any of the marketing until the movie launched. So I'm wondering why that it literally. Came in, yeah. So like, like I, I and I kind of looked this up. Don't mean to cut anybody off, but the actual posters and everything was literally just Nakatomi Towers. Or Nagatomi Plaza. Right. And then like a fire on top. Yeah. And then later on after the success, that's when they added Bruce Willis's Got photo it. to the whole marketing and everything for Die Hard. Yeah, I wonder what that would have done if they would have shown Bruce Willis like heard it more or I don't know, you leave that mystique of like not knowing. Well, I don't and know, that's the thing. Weird. So it, when you see just a building on fire, you're wondering like, okay, where's the human element? Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then now you put, you know, that side by or that half face of Bruce Willis yeah. onto that poster. Yeah. Looking at this building, right? And it kind of draws you in like, oh, oh, snap. What's the connection, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, I get you. Yeah. And uh, to this day, according to IMDb, uh, this is Bruce Willis's favorite acting role. 
out of nice. all the roles he's oh, done. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Uh, next, we have uh, Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Uh, the character's name in the original novel was uh, Anton Little Tony Gruber. Little Tony. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Gosh. Let's yeah. pass on that. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Uh, Alan Rickman was cast after producer Joel Silver saw him on Broadway in uh, Dangerous Liaisons. Uh, Rickman was in his 40s at the time and was a pretty established stage actor, but he was looking for that, uh, you know, he's looking for that paycheck and was trying his hand at Hollywood uh, at that time. Uh, he almost passed up on the role because he'd just gotten to California two days prior and didn't want to make his first role a villain in an action film for the risk of being typecast. Uh, this movie, you know, would eventually change his life. Uh, he would go on to say in an interview that uh, he walked into a New York screening completely anonymous and by the time the movie was over he was fucking famous everybody knew who he was yeah that's awesome yeah Um, unfortunately you know Alan Rickman would pass away at the age of 69 from uh, pancreatic cancer in 2016 so originally uh, they went after Sam Neill to play Hans Gruber Jurassic Park exactly yeah Peaky Blinders Sam Neill there you go that would have been interesting yeah that would have been great actually yeah I think so. No, I, I think Alan, how do you say his name again? Rickman. Rickman, not right. Okay, Rickman does a great job, though. You know what I mean? Don't you think, like, like they nailed the, the villain? Well, and so, and I actually talk about this later on, but I think some of the things that he added that the directors and stuff didn't really want, it added to the movie. Really? And we can talk about that later okay. on, yeah. Uh, then we have uh, Bonnie Bedelia as uh, Holly Gennaro McLean. Uh, this character in the novel was named Stephanie Gennaro and uh, was originally supposed to be Joe Leland's daughter, the main character's daughter. Uh, they changed that to a spousal role and introduced the subplot of McLean trying to fix his marriage with her. Uh, so they added uh, that dimension to the character. Uh, Bedelia was chosen to play Holly by Bruce Willis, who saw her performance in a movie called Heart Like a Wheel. Never seen it, but I guess it keeps on spinning. Uh, Kirstie Alley was looked at for the part of this uh, character, uh, but uh, the producer of Cheers wouldn't let her do it. Why? Don't know why. He doesn't seem like a very cheerful person. Trash. Uh, uh, then we have uh, Alexander Godunov as Carl. Uh, so, you know, the big blonde dude. Uh, this guy was actually a Russian ballet dancer. I call him Fabio. Yeah. My trash treasure. <laughs> yeah, he's a Russian ballet dancer that defected to the U.S. in 1979. Uh, he became a citizen of the U.S. in 1987. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away in May 1995 after uh, battling alcoholism. So, uh, oh, R.I.P. No. Yeah, it sucks. 95? Um, 95. Yeah. Seven years after the movie? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What was that, your 30th birthday? Yeah, okay. we, we, we stop, man. Wait, he was. Okay. Everyone's <laughs> in this room. Hey. <laughs> Relax, we said he was 30 and 99, you know, he's fine. Uh, you keep saying Carl, I'm waiting for you to talk about Carl Winslow. Oh, like that's it. that's next. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. That's yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, next, we have uh, Reginald Vell Johnson as LAPD Sergeant Al Powell. Uh, you know, like you said, Jay, we know him uh, from Family Matters as Carl Winslow, and he actually got that part because of this movie. Uh, he would also go on to appear in Die Hard 2. Uh, he also had an appearance in Avengers Endgame as a fire chief, but his scenes were cut from the final version. I was going to say, he is not an Indian. Yeah, I was going to say, he's not. Oh, yeah, damn. Yeah, we've seen that I've movie. i watched that just as much as Rocky IV. <laughs> hey, hey, and it feels the same length. Yeah. Yeah, even though it's three hours, yeah. Uh, Vel Johnson's character, his character name did not change uh, from the book, although in the book he's supposed to be 22 years old. And at one point, uh, Gene Hackman was supposed to play... Uh, 
Al Powell and uh, even Wesley Snipes auditioned for this role. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, while filming, Vel Johnson says uh, he didn't know how much of an important part his character played in the plot until he got to the point where uh, he's talking to Bruce Willis while he's picking the glass out of his foot in the bathroom. That's when it kindly. That's when it uh, finally hit him that you know uh, Al Powell is an integral part of getting Bruce Willis's character through the mess that he's in while he's in the tower. Uh, fun fact: much like his character in the movie, uh, apparently he didn't meet Bruce Willis until the end of filming. Uh, yeah, that's which crazy. is which is crazy. Uh, the two FBI agents named Johnson in this movie is a direct joke related to Reginald Vell Johnson. And according to IMDb, after this movie and Die Hard 2 came out, uh, he would often get uh, Twinkies thrown at him from fans. Uh, I hope that never happened at a restaurant because that means uh, there's not a very good hostess on duty. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. Uh, Then we have uh, Hart Botchner as uh, Harry Ellis. In the novel, Ellis is sleeping with the main character's daughter, but in this movie, they changed it so that he's just after uh, John McClane's wife. Uh, He dies the exact same way in the book, too. The actor Hart Botchner is the son of actor Lloyd Botchner, who co-starred with Frank Sinatra in The Detective, which is... You know, based on the prequel to that's this pretty, novel. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a nice, yeah, uh, like nice that. touch. Yeah. That guy was uh, a doucher though in yeah. this movie, man. Jesus. He's like Hans, Bubby. <laughs> Listen, Bubby, Bubby. Yeah. Uh, then we got uh, Paul Cleason as a LAPD deputy sheriff, uh, Dwayne T. Robinson. Uh, we know him as Assistant Principal Vernon in The Breakfast Club, and as uh, Clarence Beeks from Trading Places. Uh, in the novel, when Carl busts out at the end and he starts shooting everybody. This character is supposed to be one of the casualties and die before Al Powell shoots him. Kind of why, why didn't they keep that in? Yeah, because I hated his character. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a doucher, man. He's dumb as fuck. Fucking useless. Yes. Uh, let's get into the production and story. Uh, so they shot this movie uh, from November 1987, and they finished in March 1988. We're going to kind of talk about these together because Die Hard wasn't 100% fleshed out even during the filming, and the script was still being rewritten while they shot. Uh, Bruce Willis was still working on moonlighting a portion of the shoot, so they used the downtime to make certain changes. In the original script, uh, Die Hard was supposed to take place over a three-day period, but the director, McTiernan, uh, decided that it should take place over a single night. He also decided that instead of focusing on the terrorist political leanings, like in the novel, uh, they'd be purely driven by money. In the novel, the German terrorists are set on exposing the uh, Klaxon Oil Corporation's dealings with a Chilean dictatorship. Uh, like the director, Stephen, uh, Steve Souza felt that the source material was too sad and bleak, and they made sure to uh, expand on other characters to lighten the mood in the movie, as well as give McLean more people to actually interact with. Uh, Argyle appears throughout the entirety of the film compared to his role in the book. In the book, I believe he didn't even have a name. Uh, Al Powell's relationship with McLean was given more importance, and he has uh, more scenes with other officers, as well as the subplot with him killing the kid. Uh, They added the TV reporter, uh, John's wife and his kids, of course, and they focused on giving other characters memorable moments and subplots when Bruce Willis wasn't on screen. One key moment in the movie that wasn't planned at all was a McLean and Gruber meeting prior to their final showdown at the end, uh, which they were struggling to implement into the plot. Uh, according to a Slash Film interview with Steve DeSouza, uh, during a break in filming, 
one of the crew members just randomly asked Alan Rickman to do an American accent, you know, since he's European. Uh, DeSouza heard this and immediately ran off to get the producer, Joe Silver, and show him Rickman's accent. And after hearing it, they both ran off to the director and they decided that up until this point in the story, McLean only knew Gruber by his voice. And so they used that as an opportunity to, quote, mind fuck him uh, they had to move a couple things around in the script to make this happen they changed the scene where gruber kills takagi so that mclean doesn't see who shoots him and the actual location where gruber and mclean meet was supposed to be where mclean was originally supposed to kill theo the computer guy and uh that left the door open for argyle to reappear in the movie and uh you know knock uh, knock theo out in the van when he's trying to escape or the ambulance right yeah yeah the ambulance yeah, yeah. But on to filming, cinematographer Jan de Bont tells Slash Film that he and director McTiernan both agreed that this movie needed to be shot in an actual building in order to maintain that sense of realism. They believe that the building was also a character in the movie, and that opened a lot of doors in the industry, particularly for the house and the intruder. So if it wasn't for this building, Nagatomi Tower, the intruder building, uh, I believe the mansion from that movie, would have never had the opportunity to, to co-star in Great that movie. film. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah, an amazing actor, the house. Yes. <laughs> Well, we can we all give that a zero. I fucking hate that. No, Kerwin did not. You gave it a five, I gave it a five. I, I, I gave it a five. I think I gave it a five. Yeah, us three gave yeah. it a five. Yeah. Zero. <laughs> fucking hate that movie. Still got three dollars, though. Um, we really got to do that recap episode. We have to. We have to. Um, after mm. <laughs> after looking at a bunch of locations, they realized that the building they needed was right in front of them all along. Uh, that's when they settled with the Fox Plaza building in Century City, California, and they used that to stand in for the Nakatomi Tower. Uh, it was still under construction at the time, with only about five floors being occupied, and because 20th Century Fox owned stake in the building, the crew was pretty much able to do whatever the hell they wanted on several floors, shooting a lot of what you see and actual unfinished construction zones in the Fox Plaza building. So a lot of the shit you see, real building, real construction going on, and uh, they had full reign to do whatever the hell they wanted. The cinematographer took advantage of their access to the building, and uh, he would install film lights in order to achieve the look that he wanted in each location. Almost all of the explosions you see uh, in this movie are real. Really? Uh, rocket launchers, real. Blowing out the windows on that floor with the plastic explosives, real. It's real. Uh, and uh, with that being said, one of the very first scenes Bruce Willis shot for this movie on the first day was him jumping off the building tied to that fire hose with the explosion going off behind him. First scene shot? One of the first scenes wow. that day. On his first day. That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy because like, if anything went wrong, it's like, movie's done. Yeah. You'd think they would just save that for the end. Yeah, because yeah. what was that Star Wars movie that like uh, Harrison Ford, like, broke his ankle or oh force awakens yeah like yeah. it's just you risk all that especially fucking first day that's nuts considering they couldn't find any actors so like if this guy dies and no main actor wants to like join this uh movie fuck who the fuck else wants to join this like yeah. they passed on everybody else exactly terrible way to die hard hey <laughs> Uh, Willis wanted to do most of his own stunts in the movie and for this particular scene he jumped off a uh, five story parking garage onto an airbag that uh, as a 60 foot explosion went off behind him and the crew actually thought he died because the force of the explosion forced him to the end of the bag but he lived that's how we got part two three four and five Jesus yeah that's scary actually because that's the kind of shit that like if you're not trained you don't well there's some account. there's some crazy stuff that Willis had to do mm. in this movie in order to I guess earn that five million. This oh. reminds me of the first lethal weapon too, when he's like talking to that high jumper, he's gonna like kill himself, jump off the building, and Mel Gibson like 
handcuffs himself and they both jump off into that big um just a jump pad like a jump pad whatever it is you call it but it's like it, it's like a five-story building too I, mean, I would imagine something like that but then add the explosion behind him that's that's insane yeah and then you have like the real life force of him being yeah. not only jumping yeah. off but like forcing you yeah. forward it's, yeah that's nuts and yeah. then it's interesting that like sometimes they um will like like force perspective right so like the explosion in reality will be super far behind you but because it's so large and you're so small, it makes it look like it's right behind you. You know what I mean? But the fact that it was like so close to him that it actually blew him forward is nuts. It pushed him into it. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy to me. Yeah. Especially because like that's your fucking actor. Yeah, like, within it's, five stories too. You know, that's, yeah, it's you know, the that's first not a day. Long way down. That's you know. Yeah, because at, le- at least if you were falling from like a taller thing, you would have enough time to like kind of control yourself and go back yeah but five stories is not tall at all yeah be a done deal exactly uh speaking of falling off a building we got a hans gruber you know the scene at the end where you see his uh, scared reaction uh this was filmed against a blue screen and the uh, cinematographer says that dropping alan rickman off at the uh, quote wrong count was done on purpose in order to get that reaction uh jan debont says that uh you should never tell an actor when you're going to drop them because they'll always respond to the fall about a half second too early because they're acting and the reaction is fake. Uh, it's best to do it early to surprise them, or it's best to do it after the count. So you count, you know, three, two, one, then nothing happens. Then they're confused as fuck, and then you drop them without telling them. And then that's how you get the uh, that's how you get the uh, terrified reaction. It's really mean too, because I'm like these motherfuckers are actors. Like their job is to pretend like they're doing stuff that they're not doing. So the fact that you have to like trick them to get an actual like uh, realistic reaction is insulting. <laughs> I think uh, there's another thing I saw on IG. Uh, my, my friend Eddie uh, hit me up to it. He's just like, uh, it's this account where they reveal things about behind the scenes. But you know, the Goonies where they see like the ship or whatever. The director, he like, he didn't show the kids the ship until like that scene just to get a real reaction out wow. of them. But they were cursing so much that he had to reshoot it again anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, shout out to Eddie. He's a listener. Uh, but um, Jan de Bont says that the most important reaction to capture during a fall is within the first second. Mm-hmm. And they had to make sure that the camera could focus fast enough on Rickman's face during the fall while filming in slow motion in order to capture it. This is because the actor can go from two feet from the lens to 70 feet from the lens in no time and when you factor in the hundreds of frames needed uh, to capture it in slow-mo it has to be incredibly precise and no human operator could do that fast enough so they developed an automated means of doing this and this technique is called uh focus pulling and it was developed for the military uh, but they managed to adapt it for this shot so a lot of technical work went into just capturing Alan Rickman's reaction. Good job too, I think. Yeah, I think they did a great job. Yeah, Looks especially for the time. Oh yeah, that's all one second. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's insane. Uh, but outside of this, a lot of the action you see captured on film is done with handheld cameras, following the actors around during the hectic sequences. And this was at a time when handheld work was kind of being phased out or not really used anymore. You had like cranes, machines, etc. Um, cameras on rails. And uh, you know, since we've been talking about the cinematographer Jan de Bont, uh, he went on to direct Speed, Twister, and uh, Speed 2. And according to IMDb, uh, he got stuck in an elevator lift, and this gave him the inspiration for the opening scene in Speed. Wow. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. good for him, you know? Nice. I love it. When yeah. Inspo strikes. Yeah, yeah. Pull from experience. I like it. Exactly. Uh, music. Uh, the Die Hard uh, score is composed by uh, Michael Kamen. Treasure. Uh, yeah. Other movies he worked on are Lethal Weapon, License to Kill, Die Hard 2, and X-Men. Oh, 
Yeah. Did you not feel the same vibe though in this? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was about to say yeah. he has a very specific Just vibe. In general, yeah. Oh yeah. Not Die Hard three though. No, all I got was uh, one and two. Oh. Yeah. I felt. I maybe I, maybe I missed it. Okay, no, but... it's okay. It's not a big deal. I was just I felt some of the same vibe, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Mm. But definitely Lethal Weapon. I definitely felt that. And then moving on to the uh, release and reception, uh, Die Hard got mixed reviews from critics when it first released, uh, but the audiences loved it, and uh, it helped establish Bruce Willis's Hollywood career as well as Alan Rickman's. Uh, these two roles changed how action movies would uh, cast its heroes and villains moving forward. Uh, prior to this, all action stars had to be these big buff dudes with no faults uh, in the script, and every villain had to be some sort of maniac. Uh, these two characters, McClane and Gruber, Opened, uh, opened the door to films introducing more everyman heroes as well as more intelligent scheming villains. Die Hard went on to become an incredibly influential film, so much so that uh, any movie pitch moving forward that featured a lone protagonist going up against a group of bad guys was called, quote, Die Hard on a blank. So you got Under Siege, Die Hard on a Battleship, Cliffhanger, Die Hard on a Mountain, Speed, Die Hard on a Bus, Air Force One, Die Hard on Air Force One, and then Con Air, Die Hard on a Con Air. If you watch Entourage, uh, Vince, which is the main character, passed on a, a, a movie that would have been Die Hard at Disneyland when there was like something terrorist that took over the Matterhorn, the first season. Yeah, they, he and, and Ari said you're passing on Die Hard at Matterhorn, oh, Die I do Hard at Disneyland, that. or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, but they 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 always reference Die Hard. Yeah. I think this is like the blueprint of like the '90s action mm-hmm. film, right? This is what what it was, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to The Independent, uh, at one point, Bruce Willis was being pitched in a movie described as, quote, die hard in a skyscraper. And his response was, uh, I'm pretty sure I already did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, this movie was nominated for uh, four 1988 Academy Awards, Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Sound. Unfortunately, it did not win any of those. Oh. And uh, when this movie dropped on VHS in 1989, it was the third most rented tape on its first week and then stayed up at uh, number one uh, for six weeks straight after that. It spawned uh, an entire franchise, including uh, four sequels, Die Hard 2, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard, and the last one that we won't talk about. And then uh, a couple video games. In 2017, Die Hard was selected to be preserved in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress and is now considered one of the greatest action films ever made, appearing on a bunch of top movie lists. And um, we, we kind of talked about this before, but um, one thing I got to ask you guys, do you think this is a Christmas movie? Yes. Now that I watched it last night, yes. I... I- I think it is, even though, like, well, not even though, I'm sorry. You were saying that the the novel takes place over three days, or that was the plan for the script. Um, the, the, the point that it takes place all on one day, it's all Christmas Eve, it has to be a Christmas well, my, movie. Well, my question is, what defines a Christmas movie? What is the criteria to actually be called a Christmas movie? Age-old question. Yeah. I think I, I found um, a Gazette article by Terry Tyrone's that's, talks about seven reasons why Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Okay. And maybe we can like see if other movies that we consider right. Christmas movies fall into these same categories. Like Rocky Love Horror. it. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing is that it uh, let me just read uh, read this quote real real quick. It says, I can understand why some people might think that this is a ridiculous statement. Most moviegoers recognize Die Hard as an action film. It has an action star as the lead, gunplay galore, and the movie came out in July, which is prime action film season. So how in the world can this be a Christmas movie? Uh, because the evidence for it being exactly that is overwhelming. Here are seven examples. First example is it takes place during a holiday office party. 
So of course, a lot of the the reason that they're even there is because they're infiltrating when everyone's defenses are down. It's an office party. People are like in this like party state that they're able to like penetrate this high security building or whatever. Uh, number two, it has Christmas music. Number three, John's wife has a Christmassy name, which is Holly. Uh, Holly, yes. Uh, number four, there are presents involved. Um, Number five, Santa Claus sort of makes an appearance, right? In the elevator scene. Yeah, ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Number six, it snows at the end. It snows paper. (laughs) (laughs) It snows paper. It says the last time it snowed in Los Angeles was 1962, but what a better way to end a Christmas movie than with a little bit of snowfall. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Number seven, the stats don't lie. According to a press release last year from Dish Network, 1.3 1.3 million Americans watched Die Hard on Christmas Eve in 2016. That beat out traditional holiday favorites, Home Alone, Miracle on 34th Street, and The Santa Claus. Wow. yippee ki It's official. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I agree. I can yeah. take it. Yeah, yeah I think uh, we, these uh, five gentlemen at this table, uh, have decided today, and we're ending the argument once and for all, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It is. Yeah. I, I I think it is. And you know what? In the in in complete fairness, if you disagree, you're wrong. Yeah. In complete fairness. Well, I'm telling you though, like as a family, we'd watch this and the first Lethal Weapon. Those were our Christmas movies. Like it's a weird thing because they're both like kind of brutal action movies, but they're both Christmas movies. Yeah. Yeah, because you could you could easily say like, is Home Alone really a Christmas movie? That's what I was gonna say. So, like you can what, talk about yeah. like you can. It's like, all right, well, Home Alone takes place at Christmas, but there's nothing, and they're on vacation because of Christmas, but there's nothing really about the plot that makes it Christmas specifically, no more than this movie. Yeah, it could have been, it could have been fucking, I don't know, fucking Memorial Day or some shit. Like it Home Alone, summer vacation. Who yeah, knows? Home Alone could have taken on, taken on like, I don't know, Shrekmas for all we know. Uh, but that's pretty much all I got. Rich, you said you had some stuff. Yeah, just to kind of piggyback on that, this is some random uh, facts that I was able to find out. Yeah, so going back to Alan Rickman's idea for Hans Gruber, um, if you notice, he's the only terrorist that's in a suit and not in terrorist attire. Oh, yeah. This actually opened up the door for the whole mm-hmm. scene with John McCain, McClane, excuse me, up in the uh, on the rooftop and all that good stuff, or I guess the top floor and all that other stuff. To where he can have that accident and say right. that you know he escaped from oh that makes sense yeah, yeah. Exactly. he's like at the party he's one of the yeah exactly yeah. and to add on to that um did you guys know that that whole entire scene was ad-libbed mm-hmm. yeah. oh wow yeah the whole entire yeah. thing was ad-libbed they just kind of went at it and then they just worked around it to figure out exactly the angles and everything i have a uh-huh. question because you we just saw this movie but right. you guys had seen this movie but like if you can go back to when you first saw it were you confused by that too? Because in my mind, I was like, "Well, I know that this is a bad guy," but it took me a second to realize that Bruce Willis didn't know. They've that he never was a seen bad each guy. other. Yeah, so, it, and to me, it's it took a trash. Me like a second. I get that the accent thing comes into play, but how does he not recognize his voice? I don't know. I. You could tell. I mean, well, there well, is. I, 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 I want to bring it up. It's a trash of mine. When he started yeah. like cowering and was like, "Oh my god! Oh no! Please, please!" and I was like, "Maybe he's." crazy maybe he's a, a crazy person i don't know like i was like this is weird and it took me like a beat to be like oh he's like pretending and so that he's but if you, you know. think about that scene right he gives him a gun with no bullets right yeah he knew the whole time so he's exactly that, he's that exactly quick. he yeah. understands like hey there's something so he did i'm not this. going to give you a gun 
with bullets in it so you can kill me. Yeah. But Bill Clay. If he kills them right then and there, the movie's over. The movie's over. over. True. I, I just don't, Good I don't point. know. Good I don't point. know. Yeah. I agree that he probably could have done better with the accent. I, I agree with that. Yeah. But I think it plays off two things. Like, yeah, he didn't do great with the accent, but he also didn't do great enough where Bruce Willis picked up on it and did recognize it. So right. it's like it plays right. off both those things. Like, yeah. I wish he would have done better, at least for a while, because I feel like at first it's not half bad. But then almost immediately it turns to where you can instantly See? hear Hans yeah. Gruber's like freaking accent. Yeah. And you guys notice that it actually opened up for later on in the movie where he flips the picture over and sees Holly and John McClane. So now he knows, oh, there's the connection. Let me take this broad as a hostage just because, you know what I'm saying? So I they he had leverage so many now. different yeah, things. He had exactly. leverage now, yeah. To where if he didn't see John McClane, it would yeah. kind of throw some things off. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Um, also, the panoramic view of the city below when they're at the rooftop, it's not real. Really? It's a 380 degree, or excuse me, 380 foot background painting with lights. Wow. The traffic and everything was all fake. You know, I will say that when they were, uh, when he was like in the hotel room or whatever, getting ready and through the windows you could see, hmm. I was like, that's not real. Because whatever of the angles, was. right? Yeah. I don't know what it was, but I was like, that's not real. Yeah, so um, also McLean's tumble down a vent shaft was an accident. Um, they kept it in the air with the stuntman because they were like, this is something that can really happen, so let's leave it. Okay. And then it actually, you know, him going through the vent shaft and with the lighter and all that other stuff, they just said, let's that, add it, let's keep it. That bright-ass lighter? Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Jason. That they could see throughout the other vent? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, come on, man. I mean, we're talking about a single flame? Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. We, we've played, like, uh, games where you have to guess the movie or yeah. the, when he's crawling through the vent shaft and it's dark I'm like wait that's not right I remember and he does a letter go there's there the fiction yeah. <laughs> there yeah. <laughs> yeah 100% um, also uh, Bruce Willis actually suffered permanent hearing loss from this movie really yeah. it was a loud movie to where he actually was partially deaf for most of it shit yeah wow um, another random fact is that he used rubber feet as a safety precaution. Oh, yeah. If you notice, he doesn't have any shoes on. Right, or, right. Mm -hmm. Most of so them. you can notice this significantly. Um, you guys remember the rooftop shootout, the yeah, very yeah. first shootout? Yeah. If you look at his feet, there's going from Fabio, right? They're snow yeah. white. Oh, okay. Snow White. We'll have to go back and watch that part. Oh, I don't shit. remember that. When, when in movies, when someone points out fake feet, it's real noticeable. Once 100%. You, once you know 100%. it, it's real noticeable. I forgot what I saw recently, but there was another thing that was like fake feet, and I was like, that's very apparent. I'll so if you guys go straight to that scene, I'm telling you, okay. where he's reloading and he's like feet are down. And because they're, they're essentially kind of, shoes yeah. that are just shaped like, like feet. feet. Yeah. yeah. And so they're just, it's they're a They're bigger than they should be. Match. They don't fit right. Yeah. Imagine me with white feet. <laughs> exactly. Fail. Yeah. You don't have white feet? No. no. <laughs> oh, okay. Got big black ones. <laughs> uh, also, McLean's sweaty tank top. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's actually in the National Museum of American History. So my which question one? is, which one? My yeah, but which the one? The dirty one. The dirty well, sweaty one. Well, that's but all you're Kerwin has said that when he gets on the fire hose, right, and jumps off, one of the first scenes filmed 
So, like, did they use multiple of these, like, shirts? I mean, I, I don't... They had to. Have I heard, to I heard dude, they did yeah. have multiple because there's different stages. Right. Where you know it gets I mean? dirtier where and There's dirtier. one where there's, like, more blood than there's yeah. dirt. You know what I mean? And then it gets grimier as the movie progresses. Yeah. But all of them he wore. But so. all of them he wore, exactly. Yeah. But, and they said that was, I guess, a, another hard thing for them to mimic. That's why... Like at the end, it's just like the tank top is dirty as hell. Yeah. The whole nine, right? So, so I watched. I don't know, it was like VH1 or something like behind the movie or something like that. But it, it, he has a definite tank top change, where it goes from white dirty. Don't get me wrong, but then is definitely a gray cringy. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it just is different. a It is a gray sure. tank top. Yeah. So if you if you look at that rooftop scene, that is signif- significant. Excuse me, to where you see a lot of things starting to change. Okay. You know what I mean? You see the the rubber feet. I just you watched see. this last night, so I don't really know what you well, mean, but exactly. I'm going to watch it again. So you should cut it on as many times <laughs> as possible. TJ's coming over. Yeah. 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 Maybe watch it one, maybe two more times. I don't know. In between Rocky Fours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so another another one is the famous Yippie Kaye. I don't know if you guys know about that, Yippie but Kaye. that line was actually a joke for the crew members, and they decided to just keep it in the movie. Cool. It's, huh? it's so funny because Kyle, when we were watching it yesterday, he was like, why do they keep calling him Roy? <laughs> I was like, oh, you missed the whole bit. but, And then they kept calling each other partner. He was like, is that why? Because they're cowboys? I'm like, just stop. Right. Make uh, potatoes. This one's kind of irrelevant. You're a lot nicer than I would have been. But uh, <laughs> they spent $130,000 on glass for the movie, which is kind of weird. If you think about the equivalent to today's price, that's over three hundred grand, right? On strictly glass, just breaking of glass. Wow. Which is kind of like, why? But if you think about all the glass in that movie, right? The computer server room. Well, there's one floor where the uh, entire floor is just blown out. Right. right. Yeah. And you got to think, number one, this is a Fox Plaza, right? Fox actually charged itself for using this building. Yeah. That's, that's how the rich stay rich. Huh? Yeah. The whole yeah, bottom go. floor. You're right. The whole computer room floor. The computer room. It, it, so when a, they're shooting the, the rocket out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's at least two full floors where they're completely blown out. A hundred percent. But they spent $130,000 on gla- just glass alone with this, you know, $28 wow. million dollar yeah. budget. Um, and the last thing that I have, uh, we actually talked about was the original uh, Die Hard script was supposed to go over three days and it was like, no, nah, let's 86 that. Yeah. You know? Which I do like. I it, do it does like really make it a Christmas. one day. And it know? really does make it then a Christmas movie because it's on Christmas Eve. 100%. Yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. It's not Christmas plus. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It's not Die Hard plus Christmas. Yeah. It's fucking Die Hard. Goddamn Christmas Eve, man. Damn it. You be Kayo. That's the sign off for sure. I can't wait for that. So that was it for behind the scenes. Uh, let's get into trash and treasure mugga. So again, I just watched this last night, so I kind of just did vague stuff. Um, I'm going to go through it. Kerwin, I can never stop putting this to trash since you've noticed or you've made it aware to me. But at the very beginning, the sepia tone, like the bad boys film, I, I, I see it now and I hate it. Like that little like off at oh. the very beginning. I, it like looks like smog. LA. I don't know. I don't. I can look at it. I'm like, it's, it's horrible. Wow. Um, when the title comes on, it's like the worst timing of all time. Like he's picking up his bag at the airport when they could have done something like maybe like an aerial shot of the towers. I don't know. It just says yeah. die hard. You know, I'm just like, no, you could have done so good here. Yeah. You know, like I don't I don't like that. 
I really hate the whole donut stereotype of cups. And they have that little issue where, like, don't you have donuts? And, and he's like, and I'm like, I, I don't know. Because, like, I, again, I'm, now I'm watching this in 2021. I, I don't know. I just don't like how they have that. Um, again, I've already gone over this. How does Willis not recognize Alan Rickman's voice? Or at the time, I mean, we've gone over that. That's really all I have for trash, though. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, getting into the treasure, I think the limo driver guy, he's great. Like the guy's, the, the, he's, he's comical and he's loyal and he's just like, I got you, man. Whatever, I, I think when they when they quickly cut to him, I think he's just amazing. Um, the, there's a shot of the Fabio guy. What was his name? Kurt? Yeah, he's doing a shot where he's going through like like uh, hallways and then he like slides down the staircase oh, yeah. the way they shoot it I don't know I thought that was like cool I was like oh that's badass you know um, Alan Rippin character even though I do see him as the villain in Robin Hood because I've obviously I've watched that before but I think his character is just great I love the 80s throwback I mean the, the, the soundtrack and all that stuff I think like it kind of time traveled me to this time frame which was great um I laughed and I thought it was really cool when John McClane does the whole sweatshirt scenario where he sends the guy down. Now I have a gun. I, I just I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world, you know. Yeah. But other than that, you know, I love Bruce Willis. But uh, but yeah, that's my trash and treasure. TJ, what about you? We will start off with trash. I don't know if you guys noticed, but when the guy gets sent down the elevator, like the dead guy gets sent down the elevator, and then Alan Rickman like moves his head to the side or something. I don't know if you noticed. I watched it like five times. The guy's head moves before Alan Rickman even touches him. Does it? And then he, Alan Rickman's like, the way that he moves his hand, you can tell that it's not enough force to like push someone's dead head over. Uh, So that was like a real, like, that was a real bummer. Um, I also, so this happened later in the movie, but when Carl Winslow first gets there, and is like driving around. The, I was uh, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> All my notes are like that too, teach. Yeah. So you're good, you're good. And he's like driving around the parking lot of the complex, and Bruce Willis is like looking from the like 20th story or whatever, and I'm yeah. like, stop, motherfucker! Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, shoot your gun at the cop, and he will call for backup. Like, why are you just waiting for him to hope that he sees what's happening on the fifth floor where everyone is at? It was like, just shoot through the window to the car. You don't have to shoot him, obviously, but just shoot toward him, and he'll call for backup. But, but then they threw a body on his car, and then he called for backup. And they still shot it up. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing that was so funny was, like, when they threw a body fully lands on this police car, he's backing up, and he's like, they're making my, you know, they're turning my car into Swiss cheese or whatever. Doesn't mention that there was a dead person on his car. Just mentions that he is under fire. And I also thought that was like a trash because I'm like, mm. there's fully someone dead on your car right now as you're in reverse. Uh, and then my last trash is um, this motherfucker Ellis. Mm-hmm. Does he not give you uh, Gus Shalabi vibes? Damn. <laughs> Damn, dog. I, I, It'd be your own people. Why? Why? It'd be be your own people. (laughs) The salesman thing? The salesman thing. The like, oh, I can... Oh, bro, I got this. I can talk terrorists out of being terrorists. Don't worry. I I do deals like... I do multi-million deals over breakfast. You use a gun, I use a fountain pen. (laughs) Wait, did you guys... Okay, okay, doesn't he ask uh, Gruber for like Coke at one point and then they bring him an actual Coca-Cola and they pour it out for him? 
Uh, he was drinking a Coca Cola, <laughs> yes. But he like he asked for Coke. He's like, you guys don't have any Coke around here because he's. Like, I did not get that. Yeah, reference, I didn't, I didn't, but that's funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. But anyways, he he gives off major Gus vibes. Is that good or bad? It is what it is. We love you, Gus. Love you too. But anyways, what an asshole this guy Alice was. He is an asshole. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> Gus vibes. Not I'm Gus. Sorry. Not Gus. Just not kidding. Just kidding, Gus. We love you. We. They love you. (laughs) (laughs) Pay your rent, buddy. Just kidding. Um, Okay, treasures. I don't know if you guys caught this. There was like a guy shooting Bruce Willis through the table, and he's like walking on the table, like shooting through the table. Mm -hmm. And there was a line in there. He goes, "Where are you going, pal?" Do you guys remember this? Hundred percent. Yeah. So that was a treasure because I thought that was the first time I laughed out loud at that movie because I thought it was hilarious. Like Mugga, I loved Argyle. Great oh, yeah. character, like great comedic uh, relief, like sprinkled throughout. Of course, got to give it up for our guy Carl Winslow. We love oh. him. Oh, I don't yeah. know what his real name is. Something Benjamin Johnson. Bell Johnson yeah. Something Mr. Johnson. We love you, Mr. Johnson. Um, Professor Snape. Of course. Alan Rickman. Yeah. Very famous. Very talented. Love him. Love his uh, character. Love his role. Love everything that he did. And then, of course, the iconic line... Yippee Kai Yay! There you My go. Yeah, you got it right. Yeah. Yeah. Yippee Kai Yo! <laughs> okay, that's my treasure. Jason, what's your trash and treasure? So the first thing I wrote, I'm trying to remember why I wrote this. Um, okay, so when they're on the plane and he's sitting next to the, the passenger guy, which that is like. annoying guy. Yeah. And he talks about how every time before he gets on a plane, he makes a fist with his toes. When he lands, yeah. And runs against a carpet. Have you ever done it? I, I've never heard, heard of it, nor done it. 100% I've done it. Okay, I read an article, and I forgot to put in the research, but there was an article specifically about that, and um, I can't remember the exact details, but the person writing the article had done like studies or whatever, and they say that that actually does work. That, does. Is, that is a real 100%. thing. Yeah. What is it supposed to do? It relaxes uh, you. Just like shows it you just out. calms you. Yeah, it takes it, you away from the landing, right? So basically you do it when you land in a, another city or something like that, if you got anxiety or anything, and it actually calms you and relaxes you. But you have to do it like barefoot? Yes, you because your toes are on toes carpet. Or? Like, I'm, I'm dead serious. I know it sounds weird, but being a black dude working in Oklahoma and Arkansas, trust me, <laughs> it works. <laughs> I don't know. It, sound, it sounds weird to me. I just, I just thought it was a weird thing to open the movie with. That's all I'm going to say. Um, the, the lady that's pregnant and she asks if it's like, um, Holly Gennaro's like assistant or something, or maybe Mr. Takagi's assistant asks if she thinks her unborn child can handle some champagne. I just thought it was a weird, a weird line to include. Like why even have that line in there? Just cut it out. Just have her leaving or something. I just thought it was a weird thing. When, uh, Bruce gets to, uh, so when John McClane gets to the, Takagi Plaza, or sorry, Nakatomi Plaza, and he's typing in the name. I just feel like the security is really lax. Like, you just get to walk up, type whoever's name you want. Like, right. what, who, like we don't know who John McClane is at this point. I mean, Dan, show no credentials. And yeah, just click you, on just, it, yeah. you just type it in, and you can look up anybody's name, know what floor, and then the security guard's like, oh, well, oh, looks like they're on floor 23. Go up to 23. <laughs> you and know, it's just like, why even have security why at that are you point? Here? Yeah. Yeah. To add to that, you know what really pissed me off? 
He said, oh, yeah, that's where everybody is for the Christmas party. <laughs> what the fuck you think I'm here for? Girl Scout cookies? Jeez. Well, he could be there for numerous reasons, too. Like, you could be there to, like, fuck some shit up. Right. Like, you don't know. I just like, thought, well, I mean, if you're looking to take a bunch of hostages, they're all on the fifth floor. <laughs> yeah. right. Hey, there's the Christmas party. Enjoy. Um, the elevator sounds like... It just gives everything away. Like I, I, I appreciate it because it's you know it's it's a visual plus sound. But it's like every time the elevator lands at a, at a floor, it's like you can hear it. It gives right. it away. It, it happens so many fucking times throughout the movie. Elevators played a big part in this yes. movie. Yeah, yeah, lots of highs and lows in this movie. Ups and downs. <laughs> <laughs> the infamous tank top color change. I mean, it goes it goes white, it gets dirty, but then it turns very much turns to a gray tank top, a dark gray tank top, and then it goes back to a dirty white one. It's just if you watch it again, like you can you can very much see it. Ellis, I think, is a piece of shit. Like I I just he's the epitome of like that douchebag fucking salesperson. Like he's just the coke. The, the the talking the arrogance like not the coffee it's arrogance and I just I fucking hate it and then the last thing I'll say about trash is both FBI officers had the last name Johnson and I just think it's it's just poor writing I mean it's 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 funny for a half a second not even half a tenth of a second but it's like please don't do that like there Bruce Willis does enough humor same with Gruber and everyone there's 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 a little bit of humor sprinkled without we don't need that. Mm. And then Treasure, I'll run through it real quick. Um, Bruce Willis smoking at baggage claim. I thought that was amazing. Um, when the dude... My, my, Lindy pointed that out. She goes, you can tell this is in the 80s because you would never be able to do that now. Oh, dude, he fucking... Yeah. He, he go down the escalator, he fucking lights up. I was yeah. like, hell yeah. I, I have a quick question. Um, yeah. So when... Uh, it's because I missed this part probably in the movie. When Alan Rickman is pretending to be an American, like, party goer, right? And earlier in the movie, Bruce Willis says, like, probably Euro trash we can tell by their, the labels on their clothes and the cigarettes that they smoke. But does Alan, Alan Rickman smokes during that time when he's supposed to be an American? Does he pull out those cigarettes? And is that... No, Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis actually gives him a cigarette. Okay, got yeah. it. And I think, I think, I think he says uh, the way they hold their cigarettes. And oh, then when he, sees, when he sees Alan Rickman hold the cigarette, that's yeah, how he... And that's when, and that's when he decides to give him the gun with no the bullet. The bullet, or the no stuff. bullets, yeah. Because yeah. exactly. that's what gives him away. Exactly. Okay. So I think that, on top of the accent and all that other stuff, kind of plays into it. The one thing that weirded me out about that, don't mean to cut you off on your trash and treasure, You're but good. they talk about the name Bill Clay. Why do they look at that board that... Has because all the names and directory on it. You know what I mean? Actually, like, it's a good question because you could have given any name. But he gave Clay and it said WM, like I would assume Williams, Bill. Right, but that, I mean, like, is that he, where he's he, getting the name That's from, where he got the name from. Okay. But again, it, to your point, it's like, why do you need a real name anyways? You're at a party. But I, but I think Gruber knows that McLean's a police officer at this point. And I think he, like, he eyeballed that fast, so he knew McLean oh, let me would get eyeball that fast. Yeah. So he's like, okay, so that's like one check where he's not lying. someone else. Some he's not lying. Person, right? Exactly. And, but then it's like the cigarette thing and whatever. Like, I think he's just going through like that cop mentality, like trying to vet this person real quick. Right. That, I mean, that's what I would assume. That's saying a lot. And being in that situation where McLean's probably already like adrenaline's pumping. But, yeah. Um, anyway, one of my treasure, um, when the dude chainsaws all the cords, I thought that was hilarious. He's like, his his buddy that was sliding down the stairs is like trying to do all this technical wire crossing and everything. And the dude's just like, fuck this. And it's like chainsaw. I just thought that was hilarious. I think the score changes significantly 
once the villains get off the elevator. So the score is like, there's music, there's Christmas music, there's all this stuff. And then once Gruber and everyone get off the elevator onto the floor with the party, I think the score instantly changes into what we know is like the Die Hard score, um, which I thought was kind of cool. It kind of like sets the tone like, hey, this movie's shifting. I think it's it's kind of funny when uh, how McLean says, he's like saying to himself, he's talking out loud, he's like, think, think. And when he's saying the second time think, he's like, he looks over and he looks across the building to the next building and there's like a naked chick walking around on the phone. That was hilarious. Uh, Alan Rickman was amazing. Carl Winslow was amazing. Um, when John threw the body on a Carl's car and said, welcome to the party, <laughs> I still so laugh every time. I laugh every time. I, I appreciate that uh, Hans Gruber and team were very well prepared. I think they were prepared for a lot. With the ambulance, um, they had a backup plan if they couldn't get all seven locks unlocked. I, they I, also knew that, hey, stuff's not going to go our way and we're prepared for it. You know, like he, he literally had, hey, there's going to be chaos. Here's what we're prepared for, you know. Cops are going to come. Yeah. FBI is going to come. How we fuck with the FBI? fucking blow the roof I just think there was so much thought it's it's yeah, kind of scary right. like how much thought there was like he was prepared for almost everything except for John McClane it gave the villains like <laughs> a purpose rather than being just some dumb terrorist you know yeah. what I mean like it's they're not it's right. actually like okay this villain is smart and educated rather than it just being like a thug or you know what I mean we're not putting on scheme ass and robbing a bank it's like no we have thought every step well, and you know, every every sidestep and everything I think it's like well, it also it just gives it like a lot of start, stops and goes because it's like oh the fire alarm is pulled so police are coming and then you're like oh okay and then they cancel that and then it's like Carl Winslow gets there and then they counteract that with the security guard and so it's like it's a lot of like this like cat and mouse game yeah and another thing to throw in there is um, the fact that they asked for the release of all these different political figures yeah. and stuff like that, but realistically, they're just getting money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He read it in Forbes magazine or whatever he says. Yeah, it's like something stupid. Um, and I think my last one is the, it's kind of a stupid fun fact, but the actress that plays uh, Gail Wallens, Mary Ellen uh, Trainer. Uh, was also an lethal, lethal weapon. So she's one of the news anchor people. Uh, she was also the psychiatrist in oh. Lethal Weapon. Uh, so I just thought it was like very close. But I was like, why do I know her? She's very significant because like Mel Gibson just fucks with her so much because he's nuts. I, I just thought that was funny. But that's my trash and treasure. Um, my trash and treasure. Uh, trash. Uh, you guys kind of covered a lot of things, but uh, I'm gonna say uh, one thing I noticed is uh, the LAPD deputy chief. Uh, he's a piece of shit. Um, he isn't even <laughs> inspecting the dead body that fell on Al's car before they go in. Why aren't you doing that? Like you're saying, oh, there's no threat here. How do we take this John McClane guy seriously? We don't even look at the dead body on the hood Says of his car. You think it, it could be a bartender? <laughs> yeah, you know, bartenders throw dead bodies out. Isn't all the he time. the guy from Animal House and Van Wilder and all that? Yes, same yep. guy, right? Yeah. And uh, Breakfast Club. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, same guy. Yeah, um, you know, and they have more information than they're willing to use. They have the dead body. They can identify the body. Uh, they have a guy on the inside that's willing to tell them stuff that knows the geography of the building while he's in it. Like, why aren't they utilizing that information? So I thought that was bullshit. Uh, why are the cops picking the locks to get into the front? They sent a SWAT team, like a squadron, to the front to pick locks shoot the fucking glass and walk your ass in. 
Why are we picking locks with body armor? They couldn't break any more glass. They already spent three hundred thousand dollars on it. That's true. Yeah, glass is pretty expensive. I know because I worked in a frame shop, and we would. Uh, Did you guys get in trouble if you broke something? No, no, we didn't. We got in trouble if we sold it to you at the legit price. Oh. Yeah, we upsold the shit out of that. It's awful. Yeah. Damn, I bought stuff too from. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. See? Yeah. I mean, I bought stuff from... Ripped off. Leap. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There you go. I'll say it again. Yeah. I bought stuff from Leap, too, and, and that makes a lot of sense now. Scammed. Yeah. Scammed. Yeah. Th- those, those things that... Those sales that you think are sales are the actual price, and what you're often getting charged is the markup. That's it's what you It's nuts because, like, if something is on sale all the time, I'm like, girl, that's just the price. It's not the real price. Well, when I went there too, I'll, I'll keep this short, but like they had like six types of glasses. Like one is this and it's like, you don't want that. You, you want to get this. And I'm like, what is that? Well, it's just like this other little thin paper film on top. I was like, it's going to be inside. But what if the sun's trying? I was like, it's it's facing away from the sun. And they're like, you need this. And I'm like, what were the next ones? Like, Whoa, we can do that. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I went the cheapest one and it worked out great from leap, but it was. <laughs> Jason is that motherfucker who's like, it's going to be indoors. Yeah. It's not facing the sun. I don't need UV. No, protection. I was very kind. <laughs> I was very kind. I did not act like an asshole. I was just like, well, it's not, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to fly. Just shut the fuck up. No, I'm yeah, not, they upcharge like a motherfucker. Okay. Bro, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I would I would encounter customers sometimes and be like, hey, I'm going to be honest with you. This sale ain't real. <laughs> like, this, <laughs> this shit is not fucking real. Like, this shit is like fucking, like, maxed out, dude. Like, there's no sale here. Yeah, I used to work at. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, also, uh, fuck that reporter. <laughs> what are they going to do? Yeah, what are they going to do now? <laughs> yeah. you for libel? I know, right? Uh, you never know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, fuck that reporter for saying he called INS on her uh, on the babysitter yeah, just for a news story. I thought that was fucked up. And uh, as far as uh, Carl goes, uh, the last dude that pops out at the end trying to get revenge for his brother. Uh, so John kills your brother. John McClane kills your brother, right? Why not just shoot his ass immediately when you caught him on the roof? Why get into a fist fight? Why just shoot him in the head? It's yeah. over. It's done. He said we're both professionals, right? Yeah. Well, the other thing too is like you think about. Um, the third one, like, where's Simon? Like, why is why is only two of the brothers? Why aren't all three brothers there? Yeah. Like, where's Simon Gruber at? I don't know. It's just weird to think just, about. Just get over with. If it's yeah. really about that, fucking end it. Yeah. Uh, but that's my trash. Uh, treasure, uh, when I heard the airplane sound start at the beginning of the movie, all I could think about was Georgia Dome by the Yang Yang Twins, and I wish that would have wow. come on. It's just like, wow. Miami. Yeah, I wish that would have come on. No, no, that's what's happening with Trig Daddy. My bad, not Georgia Dome. Trig Daddy, what's happening? Yeah, I had to correct Dude, myself. Get it straight, Kerwin. Jesus I, I know, Christ. Right? I, I know, I know. I messed up. I messed up. <laughs> uh, another treasure, the exposition in this movie is so good. Um, the way they introduced the dynamic of John and Holly's relationship, establishing that their dad uh, doesn't stay with the kids, the reveal of the family photo once Holly spins around in the chair while she's on the phone talking to the kids, you know, telling Paulina that they uh, may have to put together a spare bedroom for him, indicating that their relationship is strained or on the rocks, uh, as well as uh, slamming the family portrait down. So much is revealed in this short portion of the movie. Uh, Argyle and the uh, conversation with John, I like that he gets John to open a up to him you know john seems like a very reserved uh person that keeps to himself likes to be private and he's right in the front seat with him i love that too he's in the front seat with the limo driver 
for whatever reason. And uh, for some reason, Argyle is the one guy on this fucking planet that gets John McClane to open up. And I thought that was that was really cool um, to show that, you know, John trusts this character. Uh, this character has a lot more going on for him that he gets this person that uh, is much more closed off to actually, you know, expose himself, be a little more vulnerable, talk about his relationship. Argyle's a man, too. He's like, hey go one two ways he's like either you give me a call let me know it's going well I'll leave your bags at the front desk or i'll stay till 10 and i'll give you a ride home yeah Fuck, he's a man he's dude. a down ass motherfucker yeah, yeah he's awesome yeah i love argyle so like a, a definitely definite treasure there um and then also uh you know christmas and hollis run dmc i love that uh i love john's reaction when he sees that his wife is using her maiden name at the touchscreen desk you know, that kind of furthers the exposition thing that I'm talking about, uh, just the way he sees that and he's kind of disgusted by it. Um, so much exposition is happening at the beginning of this movie that I really appreciate. Um, and then uh, I love the way the guys bust in at the beginning, Theo and uh, one of the other guys, they're just talking about, um, I think they're talking about football or whatever, and they just use that to shoot up the guy at the desk. It just it just worked so clean. It was like very well choreographed. Um, you know, Alan Rickman's performance is great. I love the uh, monotone delivery and how over the course of the movie he just slowly unravels as McLean takes uh, kind of throws over his plot to take that vault. Um, I love the way he just you know kills Mister Takagi when he says like uh, Takagi says, "Hey, you're better off killing me," and then getting the code and he's like, "Okay, pop pop," and he's done. You know. Um, also, what a nice guy, you know, letting them all use the restroom, the hostages, you know, getting that couch for the pregnant lady. He's such a classy gentleman. You know what I'm saying? I really do appreciate that, you know? And then um, him making the smart-ass move to pretend to be a hostage. I love that that moment in the movie. That's one of my favorite moments. Um, and then uh, speaking of that... Um, this movie uh, features a lot of symmetrical center or hard left, right composed shots. But once John McClane meets Hans face to face, and you know Hans is pretending to be you know the local uh, executive at Nakatomi, um, the camera shifts. No longer are the objects in frame uh, parallel or perpendicular to the frame. Everything is tilted yeah. in that in that exact moment. I so, never realized that. Yeah, yeah, and it goes from the moment he meets him all the way until the end of the action sequence where like they're like shoot the glass shoot the Correct. glass like everything is is like askew even in the server room wow like, you can I never like noticed that is, yeah, yeah and, it, was it was crazy yeah, yeah. Was and crazy. then after that everything is reset to be in 90 degrees or zero degrees interesting yeah. Yeah, that's why I said like that whole ad lib time yeah. was like they had to figure out the angles and all that good stuff as Dude. far as like shooting and everything yeah. Um, and then one thing I really do appreciate is the uh, visual contrast between our protagonist and the group of villains. You know, he's in a wife beater armed with a single weapon, no shoes, dirty, going up against all these well-dressed, sophisticated dudes with what we assume is all the right equipment and tech. Uh, I believe, Mugga, you thought you brought this up, how these guys are equipped for every kind of situation. Yeah. And him, he's just bare bones, ha literally has no shoes, and he's still able to go up against them. Um, and adding to that, I like that they keep him barefoot the whole movie. Yeah, It's such a small detail, but I appreciate it. And I appreciate it more because like, we talk about that guy at the beginning saying, hey, you know what? If you got your shoes off, you'll be at home, you'll be comfortable, it'll ease you. And I like the fact that uh, he maintains the... Uh, being barefoot aspect to his character throughout the whole film that could have that could be like his saving grace throughout the entire ordeal is like that that ability to to, to kind of hone in and focus I, I appreciate well, that. And a lot of movies that we watch you have the hero always have 
accessibility to whatever he needs to Everything, save the day. Yeah. Whereas like this guy like doesn't have shoes. You know what I mean? Like it's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah and I like that uh, he Even kills with their fake feet, like you just said. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but but I like that he kills that dude in the elevator and he's just like, oh the one guy I kill has like fucking kids' feet. Right. Like he finds a pair of shoes and can't even <laughs> yeah. wear them. And what's crazy is that I don't know if you guys noticed, but that guy is a little bit bigger than John McClain. <laughs> yeah. You think you know what I mean? Like, yeah, his foot is probably a little bit bigger, so you wear, you know, flip flops. He's gonna I mean, be like, damn. he's gonna be like, what, six inches taller than him? hundred percent. Yeah, he jumps on the dude's back, and he's, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, there's no way this dude's feet that little. But, yeah, you know, I, I get the aspect, and I, I appreciated that as well. And then uh, just two more things. Um, this movie is incredibly well shot. I think the lighting, uh, the the composition of what's in the frame is so well done. Uh, just the stark contrast between like the the blacks and the colors and everything, like it, it has this um, this very uh, graphic feel to it. And I, and I love that mm-hmm. they they shot this whole fucking thing at night. Like ninety percent of this movie is at night, and they still got so much out of it. The way they were able to capture the action and knowing that it's on handheld. Like uh, I got to give like major props to the cinematographer and the director because they did such a good job of. Um, maintaining the geography of scenes and so, the floors that are not constructed yet the way they were able to shoot that i thought was really clean you know what i mean like yeah. all of the undeveloped floor, i i i thought that was cool you, but you, you were saying Kerwin, that that building was in reality under construction, right. construction. Too. so yeah. like yeah. they're already at a disadvantage in my opinion and he's able to shoot it to where it's like it just looks good you it know? just yeah, yeah it looks really yeah. good yeah but and, you got to remember that even though the scenes look like they were at night Obviously, the outdoor scenes are, but the indoor scenes, remember, that's just that 380-foot painting right. that's around yeah. the windows. You know what I'm saying? So it keeps that mystique mm-hmm. of everything being done in one night. Yeah, and, and I love that. And and also, like, we don't usually do this, but, like, I got to give props to the studio. Like, they're just like, use our building. Like, yeah. they, they're just yeah. like, use our fucking building. Like, so many episodes we talk about how the studio gets in the way, and I feel like this is one of those situations where the studio actually fucking lent a helping hand. Yeah, like, go ahead. Yeah, like, they said, use our fucking building. It's under construction. We'll eat the cost. Like Even with, like, a like a no-name, I guess, at the time, Bruce Willis, you know, this is his first, you know, major motion picture. Yeah. The same studio couldn't get Will Smith back for Independence Day, too, so I don't know. <laughs> kind of pissed no off figure. about that. Uh, and then uh, my last uh, my last thing is, is just kind of like uh, Al uh, getting the last shot off on uh, Carl oh. as he walks out of the, the building. Yeah. I, I felt like, you know, you kind of build up this whole thing where, like, uh, he's working a desk job. He had uh, killed a kid on accident or whatever. And uh, to kind of finally... Um, close that circle with him being able to at least save the life of somebody he was uh, partners with during the duration of the film you know however you feel about it uh, but I, I think that it was good to add some sort of arc for him and not to just have him be a side piece I appreciate him being involved in the action and uh, there's, there's a lot of things in here that are really cool but uh, I, I really do appreciate this movie. I could go on for hours about this movie, but that's my trash and treasure. That uh, was a that was a cool character loop, like what? closure mm-hmm. too for him. I think just if they could have done that for anyone, I'm glad they did that for him. And the moment where like John comes out with his wife and he sees Al and like he hugs his wife, kisses his wife, and then you see the two guys and they just know each other. Yep. And he fucking hugs them and it's just like you really sense like how important this Al character yeah. was to the overall plot, like psychologically. To, to John McClane. Do you like, think the director did it on purpose that they wouldn't not meet until the end of shooting? Why not? 
I mean, because I, you, you know? said that they, they didn't meet until I'm wondering if they did it on purpose, like, hey, I want to keep you guys separate to where when we, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I, I saw that on IMDb, Steve. but yeah. it could have added to it, yeah, yeah. maybe. Uh, but yeah, that's it for me. Uh, Rich, what do you got? Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. So, my first trash, uh, number one, where did they find this black dude, Theo, who's a computer geek in the 80s? They found him on the set of. Top Gun, because he's also partners with Maverick on one scene. We could have had him, man. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, uh, I kept seeing him like, he's on Top Gun. But it, yeah. to me, it didn't make sense yeah. because, number one, this movie took place in the 80s. Number yeah. one, computers were not really a very easily accessible thing, yeah. right? No, I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, I'm they started making know, chips I, on he was on. He was on Top Gun. 100%, yeah. but it's like, that's not going to carry over. Yeah. He's also... Uh, in a Walker, Texas Ranger. A hundred percent. And I'm just like, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, okay, Theo, welcome. Right. Not Huxable, by the way. hundred uh, percent. Number two, and these are all random. They're not in order. Uh, Willis could have had a better stunt double. You know, good, not great. Right. Uh, so in the scene at the gas station, they talk about Al's wife and how she's pregnant and all that other stuff. Reginald Bell Johnson, a.k.a. Yeah. Carl Winslow. Number one, he's not wearing a wedding ring. Whoa. Well, he's a police officer. Is this? Yeah, he's a police officer. And, and debatable. I don't know. Sometimes you don't want to give that kind of stuff away when you're a police officer. Like, you don't yeah. want to give off any kind of, in, like, vulnerabilities when you're... I, I don't know. I could imagine. I'm just giving him something. I, I get that, but you got to remember, number one, he's a desk jockey. Number two... Well, he's on patrol. He's that on night. patrol. That's he's on what I'm patrol. That so it kind of throws it throws people off, right? Like you're on patrol, but you're saying that you push papers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to be consistent now, baby. Mm-hmm. If you married, you married. Yeah. Not once did he call and say, "Hey, honey, I'm at Nakatomi. Where My the car fuck just got is shot Harriet up." Winslow. Exactly. Not exactly. Hey, not did Urkel break his phone? I mean, what the fuck? Not rich. She's married. I'm single. It was the same week that Urkel Valid. did get stuck. And he had to help him out. Remember his wedding ring fell off in that episode? You remember what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Number two or four or five, whatever this is. I don't know if it's a trash or a treasure. Um, and you guys probably never even noticed this. Gas was 74 fucking cents back then. I, know. I didn't notice that. Oh, shit. When he pulls out and looks at Nakatomi, it literally says 74 fucking cents. Okay, I'm gonna own the age thing right now because I remember in high school when I wanted that? to get gas was less you, than a dollar. If I wanted seven gallons of gas, it was seven dollars. It was 100%. ninety-eight cents. That was when Bush was in office, trust yeah. me, because I drove my sister's yeah. car all yeah. the time. Now, yeah. hey, honestly, dude, like uh when I first started driving when I was like seventeen, gas was like ninety-nine cents. Yeah. So yeah, I'm if I right wanted there. seven gallons, I had seven dollars. Yeah. That's all I needed to yeah. wow. Right. So yeah, I I didn't know if that was a trash or a treasure. Yeah, it's just one gallon. Yeah. I mean, in the case of Mugger, remember the old times. Uh, again, the pale rubber feet throughout some action scenes. You guys will go back and look at it. I, I did not see I'm that telling at you, all. when you see it on the rooftop, you're going to notice it and you're going to be like, this is bullshit. 100%. 100%. Um, there are some bad production parts. This one really stuck out to me. So, do you remember when the tank is driving up to, yep. right, the little six wheeler mm-hmm. vehicle or whatever? When he originally shoots the missile. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I see him! Right? He shoots the missile, the glass breaks, boom, the whole night. Okay. When Han says, hit him again, they literally show the same exact piece of glass being blown out again mm. as he shoots him. I thought that was piss poor production. 
It's like back. just a replay of the hundred, just a different angle, and it pissed me off so much because it's like it yeah, when you when you go that. back and see it. Just I'm telling you, these are key parts where you guys are gonna look and be like, yeah, that's bullshit. One one thing that I do remember about that though is I remember seeing any like fire. When they shoot the second one, I'll have to go back and watch that scene now. Like, but the glass yeah. breaks. The glass, but the glass breaks, okay, and it breaks back. twice on the same window. But Rich, maybe they were like, "Dude, we've already spent one hundred three thousand dollars on glass. We just got to use the same shot at a different angle." Like they were let's like break, over budget. Let's just break the one next door. <laughs> just break the one next Fuck. door. Well, little did they know that this movie would shatter expectations. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh man! So another thing <laughs> really broke my heart that I guess never <laughs> seen this all the way through. <laughs> Yes, so this is this the last couple of trashes that I have actually hinge on the end of the movie, right? So you guys remember how Carl, right, Fabio, aka the ballet bitch, oh. literally gets hung, right? Now, granted, his hand is, you know what I mean, on the chain and all that other stuff. But he's what, a couple stories in the air? You got to remember, there's a long he's like, stairwell. He's like 15 feet high. Yeah, okay. a story. Maybe. Yeah, a story yeah. plus, right? Yeah, yeah, a story, yeah, plus. story plus. I'll give you that, yeah. So we'll go a story plus. Number one, how the fuck did he get down? Gravity. Starring George Clooney and Simon. Fair enough. Fair enough. Number two, and you guys are going to think about this, and you're going to go back and watch it. How in the fuck did he get the same exact gun and try to shoot John McClane at the end of the movie? Gravity, starring <laughs> George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. He respawned somewhere with the same exact weapon. Right, this ain't Call of Fucking Duty. <laughs> what the hell? You know what I mean? And that just—it was just one thing that pissed me off. You know what I mean? I doesn't thought it everyone, could be different. Doesn't everyone get at least one respawn somewhere? Hey, you just show up in the gulag and <laughs> shoot your way out. Yeah. Who did he kill? <laughs> who did he kill? In the gulag. I'll tell you right now. Right, I'll tell you there? right now. Gravity. <laughs> Starring George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. (laughs) And so this last trash, it was just something that kind of irritated me like no other. Because if you didn't read the book, you didn't really understand it. But why is it snowing papers at the end of the movie after all of that stuff had blown up, you know, 20, 30 minutes prior, Mm. right? And number one, it's just like how and why, right? Why? What's the purpose? It's, It's not the bear bonds that they... Is it the bear? But bombs? why would they be blown up? They're on the bottom floor. Yeah, because didn't Hans have that case in his hand when he fell, or the other dude had? He the, had nothing. He in had his nothing hand when he fell. So yeah, there, there was no explosion. So there's no reason for. Any Remember, of those the, all the bear bonds actually fell exactly. There's no explosions at the top floor. Okay. Remember, one of the guys, the Mexican dudes or Germans, whatever the hell, literally fell. And a bunch of them shattered on the floor. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Okay. Even when Hans got shot, right, on the top story, he falls through the glass. And so what is it? Exactly. So why is it snowing papers? Are you going to tell us or are you just going to lose? I'm I'm just, just, hey, I could tell can you. figure it out. I'll tell you right now. Because number one, there's, it's construction paper like a fucking kindergartner was upstairs. <laughs> there's white papers. There's, you know what I mean? There's a bunch of different elements there. To where you guys need to go look it up and check it out when you watch the movie. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll have to go do that. A lot of dandruff or something. I don't know. <laughs> Get that Panty Pro V. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. So now I go to my treasures. Number one, a lot of you guys already touched base on it. It was brilliantly casted. I'm talking about from the main characters down to Ellis, the coked out salesman, right? <laughs> Everything was beautiful. 
You know what I mean? It fit, it worked, it it made it to where like this could be a real life situation, right? Yeah. Um, number two, great plot and a storyline that led to obviously a franchise of movies. Even in Die Hard with a Vengeance, they come back to the first one and say, hey, I love this it. is why this guy is back, right? Yep. Um, again, glad there wasn't much CGI or sci-fi antics in this movie. Obviously, the elevator shaft was one to where, you know, Bruce Willis's big ass head is looking down the shaft and you can just tell, okay, this is green screen. This is crap. Um, <laughs> this is an odd one, but it was a beautiful thing. There's diversity amongst these villains. Yeah. Right. They got an Asian dude fucking eating baby roots. They got a black dude who's actually educated. They got these white guys speaking gibberish German. And believe it or not, they got a couple Hispanics in here. You know what I mean? Also, the fact that uh, you got two two black dudes on the protagonist side. And one of the things that I appreciate is that this movie, you know, his relationship with his wife is his inability to deal with the success of his extremely competent and successful wife and his unwillingness to kind of let her go or leave which in 88 was not around yeah and and i appreciate i will you know you know there's no women at this table but i can at least appreciate that you know like especially he, with the japanese company yeah you know what i mean and to be successful in a japanese com- company as a woman yeah hats off right like a lot of that stuff especially in the 80s Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, think about it. She's and she just closed this huge deal. They're celebrating that. Like, I, I, I respected everything that they did as far as the casting and the understanding of people's roles in this movie. And the way she doesn't give a fuck how she just talks to to Gruber, mm-hmm. like in the movie too, yeah. just handling shit. Yeah, you made me fucking in charge when you killed my boss, bitch. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know, shake that penis, girl. What? <laughs> <laughs> and so my last thing. <laughs> My last thing about this, and I kind of mentioned it already, the fact that something like this actually seems pretty real during that time. You know what I mean? If you think about it, the the ease of security, mm-hmm. right? The fact that somebody can literally just drive up, go park, and just shut down a building because they're knowledgeable about either that building and understand like what is really happens with that company. You know what I mean? Like the fact that they knew that there were $650 million of bearer bonds in there. Right. Right. Not just, you know, hey, this is an architect company. Right. So it's just stuff like that to where it intrigued me. It drew me in. You really didn't know what was going to happen until, you know, they just start shooting and said, you know, everybody shut the fuck up. Yeah. I feel like they had the tech, but the tech was almost ahead of their time where it's like it's not all fleshed out where they can easily penetrate it. You know, exactly. Exactly. To where like, hey, we're smarter than everybody here. We already know what's going to happen. We just want money and we're going to leave. But let's set it up to think we're terrorists and we're going to free these random ass white people that's across the world. And yeah. even if A, B, and C happens, we can we still have Plan D and we'll still get it out. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Right. And you know how to pivot. Yeah. And you're at the height of like self indulgence too in American society at least. Like people just don't give a fuck about other things other than just making money. You have the uh, Ellis's of the world just running about in the face of terrorists, just spewing shit, asking for coke. Uh, calling nicknames to the guys that got you hostage the way he's just interacting with Hans just doesn't give a fuck it is so representative of of uh how society operated at that time did he not give you guys Wall Street vibes yeah 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 you know what I mean like hey watch me negotiate and bring this random guy that I just met tonight Mm -hmm. to the forefront to give himself up Mm -hmm. come on yeah he he did not know what he was dealing with I love the fact that they actually showed him snorting coke 
uh-huh. in yeah. the movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it kind of adds to that character. Like, hey, this is what this guy is on. This is what he's about. Yep. So that's my trash or treasure. So uh, now let's uh, let's talk about our ticket prices. Mugga, how much are you paying to watch Die Hard? This brought me back to the 80s and... I can see definitely how movies after this, this was the blueprint of like your action film. I wanted to look at it like, it's not a 20 to me, but I have to give it this a solid 15. Like I just, I, I think it's a movie that it's it's obviously uh, aged well, but uh, I would recommend it. I, I, I don't know, I just, I couldn't go any lower than a 15. I'm gonna give it a 15. All right, yeah. TJ, what are you paying? You know, considering that I just saw this yesterday, and I've been, I've been like, you guys talk about Die Hard every year, and I put it off. Every you guys, year. I've. You mean me and Jason? You, you have talked about it, but have you just I? pretended like you've seen it. You mean Take the funk? Yeah. Yeah. You mean me, Jason, and Rich? Okay. What do you mean? Munga talked about it too, but he's a fraud. Um, no, listen, it's it's not like really specific to like my type of movie, but. It's definitely a good movie. It, it's yeah. like a, I can understand why it's a classic. Why it re, like why it's so talked about? I would give it fifteen. All right, Jason, what are you paying? You know what? I think I think I had to go fifteen as well. I mean, I want to give it a twenty. I just think about other movies in this era. Like I think about the original Lethal Weapon too. I might give that a twenty. I don't know why that's so different to me, but I feel like it is. So I think I'm gonna give this a fifteen. Um, like I said, I, I would I would probably give. The first Lethal Weapon of 20, just, I, I think there's a lot more dynamics in that. I don't know what it is. This holds a very like close spot in my heart, the first Die Hard. But like we were talking about earlier too, I think Die Hard with a Vengeance, it, that gets a 20 for me. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. I'm gonna give this a 15. Uh, I was struggling with this movie between 15 and 20. Um, it is, it is, it's fairly long, like over two hours. Yeah. But for me, it just goes by quick. Um, just the action, everything like that. Uh, the man, the way that they managed to fit in all these like miniature arcs for the characters, and they use a lot of characters well. And the fact that it, it's just so influential and just, it's become a blueprint for so any many other movies. I think I'm gonna stick with uh, a very, 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 very twenty. I'm gonna give this movie a twenty. Nice, oh, awesome. Yeah. Wow. I'm going 20 I, for Die Hard. I was struggling with this one too, man. Yeah, I I fucking love this kind of movie, and um, this is like even to this day, this movie has aged so yeah. fucking well. Like, I want to give it a a high 15, but nah. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I kidding with this shit? We're a talking about this movie 33 years later, theoretically, and we're still impressed by it's, what it they holds did. Up, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? We're still impressed. You know that that yeah. that is. I mean, TJ just saw it last night, and I'm like, yes, this is a good movie. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I fucking love this movie. So $20 from Kerwin. Well, the nice. fact that it's still on streaming platforms, you yeah. know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's it's aged well, I guess you can say. It's not going to die hard. Hey. Ooh. Ooh. All right. What are you giving it, Give me Kyo. Give me All right. Kyo. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Never. So, this, it was, it was tough for me. Um... Especially when it came out, like actually when I saw it, you know, 11 years later, I thought about like a lot of movies that were in that time, right? In the 80s, especially me being like a huge Coming to America fan, right? Mm. Um, You got to think at the same time Crocodile Dundee came out, right? Uh, Bambi, Short Circuit and all these other great movies in that time. But it's like action was like the main thing 
right? And it gave me something that was different than a Stallone film or a Gibson film or, you know what I mean? Um, with that being said, it did have its flaws, right? And I think if it came with like popcorn or something, I still would rate this shit a 20. Really? Hell yeah. I To me, it, it just, it touches everything, right? Because it gives that reality aspect, right? The fact that they use real explosions, the fact that there's not much CGI, so you don't get that sci-fi feeling. You know what I mean? It just, it, it drew me in, even though, you know, I was what, 14 years old looking at this shit like, damn, did this really happen? You know what I mean? Like, it, it kind of brought me down to that point. So I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was brilliantly casted. Um, for me personally, top 10. Okay, so I gotta do a twenty dollar ticket first. I gotta change my rating. Okay, I gotta be twenty. Okay, I gotta be twenty. All right, we're gonna do it before we even calculate this shit. Well, now Mike has got to delete. Okay, so so okay. I, I gotta I gotta get this. You guys have like inspired me. You guys yeah. are right. It's a twenty. All right, so Mug is fifteen. For me, it's T because of the era. So okay, Mug of fifteen, TJ fifteen, myself, Jason, and Rich twenty. Yeah, gotta okay. do a twenty, oh, man. That's a good one. Yeah. So uh, uh, watch it last night. We'll give it fifteen. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> do it. Maybe I, we need more time with it. Hey, I respect that, man. I respect. That. I gotta do it before it's announced. I don't know. Hey, I felt, I felt, so your I felt, whole lethal weapon analogy is bullshit. No, no, no. Like, I'm just saying, like, what you, oh, if it was no, like lethal no. weapon, I would have been 20 minutes. So it's all bullshit, hey, what you just said. Hey, like, uh, I just watched Die Hard last night. Relax. Um, uh, Rich was saying it, and I'm like, you know what? And I was thinking through the whole lethal weapon movie. I was like sitting here, like, listening to Rich, barely listening. And I was like, you know what? This is a $20 movie. So I had to change my, I don't care what the fuck you say, man. You just fucking watched it last night. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you, man. <laughs> fucking change my goddamn ring. Do the math again. Fucking read it out. All right, Mugga. So, pre Jason's. No, fuck you. Seventeen dollar movie. But now that Jason changed his rating, we're now at an eighteen dollar movie for Die Hard. <laughs> that's yeah. a really good rating. All right, so how does everybody feel about eighteen dollars? I think that's good. It's very amazing. Perfect. Well. Perfect. It was 17 but now we've changed it to 18 You're welcome. I think You're three, welcome. I personally think it's $3 too high because I gave it a 15 <laughs> Okay. Oh. Wow. But that's but what fine. what if it came with popcorn? No, I, honestly, I, I, I'm going to watch this movie as soon as I get home. I want to <laughs> see the fake feet. Yeah. You, when you see I know, it, I gotta watch like, that too. You guys gotta look at the elevator thing with his head. Mm -hmm. that, I gotta watch that. That was interesting. Yeah. I didn't really catch on to that. Yeah. Yeah. You always think like when when you see it, well, I've seen it so many times, I'm just like, oh, I know what's gonna happen. You right. know what I mean? But like actually paying attention to it, that's something that I'm yeah. gonna go back and watch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. All right, uh, but would 18, we uh do we really have to do this? I would we cannot do this? Would we pay more? If Tom Cruise is in this movie, just I can't do this, man. I don't know if he can go in this Ellis? movie. Tom Cruise he could be Ellis. He could be Ellis. Yeah, that's a good Ellis. one. Yeah, I think. He, yeah, well, let's go with Ellis. Yeah, let's he could go be. With Ellis. He could be the FBI guy. Holly Gennaro. Yeah, he could be one of the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> he could be one of the FBI guys. Yeah, he could do that. He'd be the dude that gets dropped off the window onto the car. There you go. Yeah, you know? he might. He might have been a great Carl. Yeah, Not Carl Winslow, but oh, Carl the oh, villain. Oh, yeah, put, oh. him, put him on stilts. Thank you for clarifying. Fabio. Yeah, I was like, yeah, Fabio. you guys keep saying Carl, and I'm like, Winslow? And like, yeah, I, don't I don't know. think Fabio. he's comforting. Like, like I would that, say you know he could I mean? be um, Argyle, but no. No, no you gotta Argyle's got to be Argyle's got to be Argyle. But I think maybe a good Carl, Yeah, that little villain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Little villain. I heard you on that one. Tall. Zer. But uh, so anybody got anything else they want to say about this fantastic Christmas movie? Yippee Kaye! 
And Listen, then on that, this movie, this movie was like perfect. a penis on Viagra. It's not gonna die hard. Oh, that's it for this episode of $20 Ticket. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at $20 Ticket. That's $20 Ticket for more content. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you've got the time, leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's $20 Ticket at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I, I I just I, I don't Should know if I have to be quiet. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> hey assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Oh no, Red. Your turn. Your oh, turn. Here in the bathroom break real quick. Oh no. We want to trash. Hey 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 hey. That's such a dad move. <laughs> Put Open the, the door from the garage. Put the fear of God in them, huh? I was scared. I'm like, whoa. Oh, oh, I'm like, shit. What y'all yelling for? I was like, whoa. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, my bad. What'd I do? I heard you cackling the loudest out of everyone. What? When did it? What? I don't cackle. How was I cackling? Cackle, cackle, cackle. Cackle. Like that. Mugga, you're almost 40. You've, You've never, never seen, seen Die Hard? You're not 40 yet? Fuck <laughs> That's gotta go on the bloopers. <laughs> TJ just fucking talked shit to me. <laughs> <laughs>